I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello Broncos fans and welcome to the We Finally Sacked Seabold episode of Broncos Weekly. As always, I'm your host Mitch and I'm joined on the line by our good friend Simo and our good friend Benny DTD. But I'll go to Simo first. How are you doing Simo? Yeah, pretty good. Just been listening to a bit of cool in the gang, you know, just enjoying life. <laughs> and uh, they've both got a, a drink in hand. We've got Simo with one and, and Benny over there, mate, down in Melbourne. How are you doing, Matt? Mate, I'm trapped inside. So this is the... Uh... The best news I've had in about four or five months, I'd reckon. Yeah, I forget. I know you're in Melbourne, but you just forget like you guys are still trapped inside because I know I'm in Sydney and we have restrictions, but you know, Simo's in Queensland, probably living his normal life at this point, but you're still down there locked indoors. Well, it's funny you say, I, I was just texting my friend before and he was like, oh man, I've had the hardest month, you know, just long hours work. I'm like, dude, you can go out. <laughs> yeah, you I've, could go I've to been a downward spiral for like three months just being trapped inside not being able to do anything yeah. a walk to the cafe is my time that i can get outside so i'm outside for an hour max that's great so anyway simo how's life going in rocky then um yeah it's been just like normal life for like the last three months <laughs> like i think we've had all up in rocky was only six cases of the Rona and none of them got transferred. Like all of them came in from outside except one, I think. None of them got transferred really. So just waiting for the classic six cases, only three people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, people are always taking precautions and stuff, but there's never been a lockdown. It's always been pretty cruisy here. Okay. Anyway, we'll get into what people are here for. And um, I want to start at the end. We talk about the Seabowl's departure, but I want to start with the the press conference today, because I, I thought it was just like the perfect ending of what the last few months has been. But I'll start with Benny, mate. Give, give me your thoughts on that pre-planned bullshit we sat through today. Well, we were talking just before and the, the whole reason that you, you know, I get prepared statements are all well and good and all that sort of thing, but that was released prior to the actual press conference that they had. So, you know, as the Broncos have done many times in recent times, they, they've released a club statement on Anthony Seabold and leaving the club and all that sort of thing. So, you know, as, as you do, you get on there, you check it out. And I was reading it going, oh, yeah, you know, makes sense. All the same sort of generic garbage that had come out with a press conference. And then, sure enough, tuned into the, uh, the live press conference and it was exactly the same thing. They literally read it word for word. Paul White, followed by Anthony Seabold, read every single word that they released to the club statement like that it just sums up perfectly the last 18 months of the Brisbane Broncos yeah it's like um it's just totally like that pre-planned like 
we've, you know, this is going to work. We've got, we got it, boys. We've got the right plan done. Go in, and then you're like, oh, that's that's the thing. You you, you planned that. You wrote all that really planned, like bland bullshit about him being a good man and not not really addressing anything of what's gone wrong at all. No, so yeah, we went to Google templates. We, you know. <laughs> got sacking a coach template and we just cut someone's name out, put Anthony's name in, good man, affected his family, la-di-da. Didn't mention any of his shortcomings as a coach. Like, I get that it's not, you're not there to completely bag the bloke, but, yeah, you know, it's just some, some honesty from the club, some responsibility, some, you know, accept the failures that you've actually put the club through for the last 18 months. Like, we're a top four side to start the year last year. Mm. Top four side, and we've ended up as a 15th place side in 40 games since. It's just like you've got to be accountable for how the club has turned out. It can't just be a celebration of your time at the club. (laughs) That was the weird thing, hey. It it wasn't good. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) there was that weird quote. He said, uh, sorry, Paul White said, he can certainly coach. He will coach again, and he's a very good man. He's always acted with the utmost professionalism and ushered in a generation of stars will become household names for a club in the future. It's like, did, did you watch the last two years? <laughs> I felt like jumping through the TV screen and going, have you seen his resume? He actually can't coach. <laughs> like, was the one good weeks. year he had, yeah, the one good year he had was an outlier on his resume. Like, he's done nothing. He's been bad at Manly. He was bad at wherever else he went. He was bad in the reserve grade competition. Like, you can't coach. You might this think is- you can coach, but you can't. This is also what I said to a couple of people the other day, but if the Broncos board and that actually believed everything they said about him, you'd never let Seabold go because he would be apparently the world's greatest coach. But like, yeah, I just find it bizarre all this stuff they say. And all, this is also another point I had was none of them are taking responsibility for anything, which is just classic Broncos, but it would just seem like such an easy way to just be like, yeah, our mistake was hiring the guy, but he stuffed up everything else and just dump everything on him. Like he's out the door. Just do it. Yeah. And that was even the weird part though, mate. Like it was like, I'm not a big Ben Dobbo fan, Ben Dobbins, but because usually I find he talks too much gossip, not enough rugby league, but he did ask the question of Paul White. He's like, mate, you've had four coaches since you've been here in 10 years. You've won nothing. And then Paul White's retort was, uh, well, actually, three coaches. <laughs> I sacked the first one yeah. when I got there. It's like, oh, well. <laughs> I didn't really Paul. work with him. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and, like, you know, and he's like, well, we all did that. Was it, it was everyone. It wasn't just me who fucked up. We all fucked up. Like, oh, thanks. Thanks, Paul. And then the whole thing was the Seabolt stuff too. He, he was doing this weird stuff that it wasn't the wrong decision at the time. It's like, what do you mean? It was, it's obviously been proven the wrong decision at the time. Admitted it was <laughs> yeah. wrong. How can you yeah, not admit you were wrong? That's really bad about that. They couldn't admit any of this. He left and it wasn't the wrong appointment somehow. Yeah, I found that flabbergasted. Like I was, when I was sitting there watching it, you know, probably getting as angry as I possibly could, but I was sitting there going, oh yeah, and I'm trying to, just trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then it just started to dawn on me. I'm like, just all you have to do to get people back on side is just to say, hindsight's a wonderful thing. We made the wrong decision. Seabold wasn't a great fit here. We'll learn from our mistakes. And I guarantee you that like the, another 90% of the fan base just jumps back on board, not with White, but can just be like, thank you. We've got some accountability for the shit show that we've had for the last 18 months. Like that's all all of us fans actually want. We just want some people to be able to put their hand up, own the decision that they made, admit it was wrong. And now we can just move on and do things differently. 
Yeah, that's it. Um, and Simo, mate, I don't know if you saw the part, but this is my one of my favorite parts too. Is like, Seabold made the excuse if we won more, there would have been less pressure on him. Oh, really? You figured yeah. that out, Seabs? <laughs> Seabs would be the kind of person that you go into time at halftime and he's like, guys, we're only down by four. So if we go out and if we score five more points than them in the second half, we'll win this football game. Like, yeah, no, no way. You're a smart man, Seabold. You figured it out. Because he's going on about this part. He started talking about... um. The things, it's just once the questions came out and that's when you started to see the narcissist of Seabold come out again. And it was like, oh, you know, ultimately I get judged what happens on the field. But with regards to off the field, I can't control the media. I can't control things that are said across social media. I can't control the football team. And ultimately we haven't got the results on the scoreboard. And he goes on about, oh, yeah, no, coronavirus happened and injuries happened. And it's, it's, mate, you keep saying you're a good coach, but X, Y, Z, it wasn't my fault this happened. Like... What's that? There's that saying that's like everything that gets mentioned before the but in a statement, just just Forget ignore it. it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, well, I'm, it's just a happy time that he's gone and we don't have to listen to him tell us how smart he is. Another telling thing was the fact that he still had to bring in the excuse of inexperienced young guys. Yeah. That's going to be like he's starting to honestly sound like Nathan Brown. In terms of, <laughs> oh, I'm rebuilding. My legacy is going to be these young guys. My legacy is not about trophies. He said that. He said uh, that. We're, we're the Broncos, mate. That's all our legacy is about. Our legacy is about trophies. Like, you can't just come in here and say, I gave 12 guys their debut. Well, sorry, mate. They're already in the system. You didn't actually do anything other than have to play them because you got rid of nine other players. Yeah, and you lost the best one of them, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that part was when I, I, I was lying on the bed watching it and I jumped off the bed. Like, I was angry when he said that because it was like he was bragging about his debut and he said, oh, my, my pride from here. I've debuted those young fellas. My pride is, you know, when Tessie knew and those guys go on. Said, Mate, they were there before you got there. You barely played them. You're gone. They'll be there now. You didn't do shit. <laughs> yeah, and then the third best youngster that we have, Dearden, like behind Fafita and Haas, yeah. You hamstrung him by bringing in Brody Croft, who's been an absolute nightmare for the club. And I don't know, he, he's not going to play again this year. Like, you can sell, tell he's fallen that far down the pecking order because he's just so bad. But you can't say you gave all these young guys a go and you're proud of it all and everything like that when one of our brightest prospects, our brightest half prospect in a long time, you kept him away for a long time because you were saying, oh... I can't bring him in because he's had no game time in Reggie's. There's been no Reggie's comp, so we can't play him. Well, what are you just going to let him sit there while we go further and further down the toilet? It doesn't make any sense. So I'm, I'm almost prepared to say, by the way, that Tom Dearden is our best Haas prospect ever because Langer wasn't a prospect. I thought about this last night. Langer wasn't a prospect and Lockyer was a fullback or he was a half. We made him a fullback and he was our best half. But it's like, what carefully we saw him from elsewhere... I, I genuinely think he's our best half fullback in the club's history. Uh, sorry, prospect in the club's history. Well, yeah, well, I would agree with that because, like, Norman P. debuted as a fullback, but, like, he was a 5'8 for the Toyota Cup. Ben Hunt did play halfback, and, you know, he was a good prospect. I wouldn't say that people thought he was going to be the next something. Like, we've been searching for the next Alan mm. Langer, and he's been mentioned to take over the jumper from Alan Langer, but he was never the next Alan Langer. And Dearden's not going to be Alan Langer either, but... Dearden certainly has the, you know, the capability of being a very, very good halfback for a long time. Like, I don't want him to be Johns or Thurston or anyone like mm. that who's a halfback, but I want him to be a 10-year halfback that can just run our club. Yep. And then, uh, and yeah. as you said, he wasn't getting played. Hey, Simo. 
Yeah, but it's like obviously Den is obviously an easy one to spot, but there was Fafita last year as well. What was like oh. round eighteen or something before he played him, and then even like if he talks about Tessie New, but he drops Asako for Tessie. And then he pulls Tessie like halfway through the second half and puts Asako back on the field. Like he's just literally, I think you'd have a better coach if you had somebody in a box with a coin and just <laughs> making decisions based on the flip of a coin. Like that, some of these decisions would just literally baffling. Yeah. But I want to give you some quotes. So from, not from the press conference, this came interview after the press conference today. He's given Andrew Webster at the Sydney Morning Herald. And this got me fired up because again, it's just so clear. He, just, he cannot accept that he failed in his role as a coach there, that his role was to get results. He did not get them. And he cannot accept that it's his failing. Some of these quotes is like, he talks about how the old boys clubs should show more respect. He says, of course they should. I can't control the agendas behind the scenes. But do you hear any old boys from other clubs criticise as often or as much or as loud? Of course you don't. That's utter bullshit, by the way. Other clubs coming 15th or 16th, yet you haven't seen like guys when the Bulldogs are doing poorly. No one cares anymore. They suck now. But a couple of years ago, old boys were everywhere. They did it with the Knights. The old boys at the Knights are a very big thing. Yeah. Like They were speaking quite a lot when the Knights were down at the bottom of the table. Like It's yeah. definitely not... And you know what? The old boys are going to slander you because we are coming last and they're not welcome at the club. Yeah, well, that's they, it. And why wouldn't they slander you? You're terrible at your job and you don't want them there to help. Yeah, and then later on, he goes on in the same interview, it goes, it's been clear there's been a concerted campaign levelled at Seabolt since he started the Broncos in 28, driven by former players and the man he replaced, Wayne Bennett. So it's still Wayne's fault. And this is what Seabolt said. He said, I didn't think it would be like this. But I didn't realise there would be so many agendas at play. If we'd won more footy games, we would have controlled the narrative to some degree. But it's been there before I even walked through the door. People say I'm whinging. Have I been treated fairly? Probably not. There's no excuse for the scoreboard. We haven't won games. I put my hand up as far as that campaign. They stare around myself. People have told me that has turned. People must be sick of reading about me. I didn't start coaching for this. Do you understand does what he, you're doing? Does he not remember when he first came to the club, there was like, half a year of just nothing but sucking him off in the media and everyone was like Seabold's biggest fan who's getting articles written about him for playing training with soapy balls and playing mm. doof doof music at, at training like he could do no wrong until he started losing games which was about week two well you just have to look at the paper cutout on the back of the Kuru Mail like what it's more fridge a, too. Yeah, what more of a suck off can you get like that's yeah. the Courier Mail, like the Queensland's flagship newspaper telling the whole of Queensland, stick this on your fridge. This man's going to win you a premiership. Like that's not an agenda to drive a man out of town or make it hard for him. That's literally give him the best possible chance to succeed at a club that is literally born for success. The agenda was winning and he didn't win. Yeah. Yeah. That's but his agenda, was, his agenda was before his he even got model. there was what is me. Yes. Look always. at what Wayne's doing to me. Look at what he's doing to my family. My kids are crying because they don't know where we're going to be next year. Sorry, buddy. You can't throw your family out in front of the rugby league media and make yourself look like a victim when you're trying to get to Brisbane. And Wayne, who was our coach at the time, is trying to stay in Brisbane and serve out his contract. That's not on Wayne. That's on you. You can't have it both ways. I've mentioned this one before, but the more the more it goes on, the more it reminds me of this was when David Moyes got the job at Manchester United mm. and like everyone was happy for him at the start. And then he came out to Sydney and like, he just took the, the side down to the beach or whatever. And obviously like Manchester United, they got flocked by like thousands of people. 
and people were saying like he just doesn't understand the size of the club he has like he's gone from Everton where they could do that and they did do that the year before and no one like gave a crap because people only knew Tim Cahill played for them at some point mm. to Manchester United and like he just didn't understand what he had as him in charge of and I just don't think Seabold thought there would be this big a step up from South. Like, oh, South is one of the bigger clubs in the comp, but Broncos is a different beast. 100%, mate. We're the only team in the comp with beat riders. Only team that has multiple journos at every training, but that's it. And and as you said, this, these agendas he's talking about and the scrutiny he's talking about, he thinks it's just him. And it's like, no, mate, you signed up for that. That was there before you got there. You know, you're at a club, you went to a club that ran Wayne Bennett out of town for making the finals. And then you want to, when you, when you leave the club, oh, my dog's losing his mind. That's good. Someone rung the doorbell. But, um, but you, then when he got into the club on his way out, he's now trying to brag that he made the finals last year. So, mate, we got run yeah. out of, Wayne got run out of town. His thing he said, he goes, he's talking about his concern that his attention during the Broncos might not get him out of the coaching job. No shit. But he goes, I like to think my reputation in the game counts for something. My first year as an NRL coach, I took two teams to the finals. I know he got battered against the Eels. We did a hell of a job to get there. It was gritty for us to get there. Just because you won seven of your last nine games, like that just shows you how bad you were for, you know, the previous 13 games. Like you just, it was terrible. We were like, we literally scraped in with a losing record. I think, what did we win? 11 games last year? Yeah, a losing record. Yeah, so we won 11 games last year and three this year. Like 14 wins should be our base mark, like our benchmark for every season, (laughs) which like that's just, that should be a low end of the winning total for, for the Broncos. I mean, Griffin got fired for just scraping into the top eight. That was his 2014 season and he got kicked out the door for it. Yeah. And this is that whole thing. This whole woe is me attitude is, as you guys both said, he came to Brisbane to be the guy to take us to the next level. Yeah. He wanted the big dick energy job, but he just didn't have a big dick. He didn't. And, and, he's, <laughs> and he's spoken about many times. Like he's even refuted when Carl Morris tried to make an excuse for him that he came to rebuild. He even refuted that at the time. He's, oh, I didn't, I didn't come to Brisbane to rebuild. You know, I came here to win, and he knows what he came there for. And then he starts losing, and he thinks this is the, this is the narcissism in him, mate. The people are out to get him. That's what yeah. it is. It's like, no, people, the Broncos fans want results. We couldn't care who the coach is if we won games. Yeah, exactly right. Like the, and it is, it's about winning games. It's always been about winning games, and it's about the style of footy that we play. And we have had no identity to how we play these last eighteen months. Like. I can almost guarantee you that out of the 14 wins he's had, there'd be at least eight that have been through Fafita or TPJ or even the Jet doing something individually brilliant that win us the game. Mm-hmm. Not out of good planning or good play. It's been out of sheer individual brilliance to get us over the line. Yeah, well, you say that, and I could think about them right now. Round two last year when we beat the Cowboys, TPJ had that game that, you know, he got compared to Pank, uh, to Tamalolo by a friend Chris Gary. That happened. Yep. Uh, we had the game when we, when we went down to Cronulla, and our only win in Sydney <laughs> under him, when the young fella stood up and played with yeah. the guys like Xavier Coates had a game like that. Individual brilliance win by two in that game. Um, we had, at the end of last year, we had the day for feeder run against the Eels and the Isako field goal win that game like that also had the um the game against the roosters that james Sekiaro scored from dummy half to win the game like yep. you said these all these little individual game things that happened there was maybe Turpin one or did two it against yeah. the cowboys yep one or two comfortable wins in his, his entire tenure <laughs> like not good the only comfortable win is like bulldogs this year and like one or two last year even round one and two this year 
when we won 28-21 and 22-18, we still only won by pretty much one score. Yeah, while we were, those games were sort of, I would call dominant with some late tries mm. to the opposition. But like that graph, that graphic that you showed the other day, yeah. since his, you know, his tenure started at the Broncos at the start of last year, we've had a positive differential for three games. And they're three of his first five or whatever it was. But yeah, three of his to... first five games. Yeah, and he's yeah the first coach ever to have two losing seasons in a row for, for the Broncos. Worst four and against two years in a row, all that kind of stuff. It's all been downward slide, and somehow that is not his fault. It is everyone else's fault. Yeah. And same with the other it's guys at the club. Losses. Yeah, same with all the other guys at the club, mate. It's not their fault Sebes got there. This is just what happened. It's unfortunate. And yeah. that's when they really lost me. They lost me when they started talking early. And this is, again, why I'm happy Paul White has gone. Once he started talking about the excuses and he rattled off coronavirus and said, yeah. there's no book on coronavirus. And, it's, and, the, and I laughed at that because it's exactly the way Anthony Seabold coaches. He's stealing yeah. someone else's ideas and thinks they're original. Yeah, <laughs> He's exactly. like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And there was I, no coronavirus I mean, book to steal from. But people have also mentioned this point, but there's other teams that are in worse positions due to COVID than we are. Like the Storm are, the Warriors are, and they're both not falling apart at the seams. Strong leadership. The, the fact that the Warriors are like two or three games ahead of us, with all of that, with all of what they've had to go through, with players leaving, with injuries, yeah. with their coach being sacked, and you watch the performance that they put out. Yes, it was against the Dogs, but like they've been in every game they've played for the last six weeks. Like Todd Payton is doing an unreal job with that club, you know, just to be able to get them where he is. And we can't even. We're in Brisbane. We're playing at Suncorp. We're we've got every advantage that you can possibly think of and our coach can't seem to get his players to play for him because a, they all think he's a complete fuckwit mm. and B, he doesn't have a good game plan. He doesn't have a good football brain. Like he wants to overcomplicate the game way more than it needs to. And the players are clearly just sick of it. And it's showed by like that Jimmy, the jet just writing his name down in a press conference or in a team meeting because that's all he cared about. He, he didn't care about what he was saying. He's just like, why am I listening to this? Yeah, it's yeah. like um, we've all been in that classroom and there's a teacher who his teaching method nobody gives a shit about and no one respects him and nothing happens in there. It's just chaos. It's like this rigid game plan you mentioned. It was like those articles coming out and it was a real showing of the lack of respect they have for Seabold. The fact that like Darius Boy was happy to go on TV and diss him and just didn't give a shit. Like, just told, oh, yeah, I'm out of leadership group because Seb sucks, essentially. Like, <laughs> And, you know, we, I don't like Darius. He's been very bad for the last couple of years. Yeah. But he's, you know, his record is good. But for him to actually come out and say something like that, Darius never spoke to anyone. Even post-Newcastle when he'd actually started getting his life together and he first came to Brisbane, he was still fairly quiet on everything. Like, we'd talk about mental health and all that sort of stuff. But for him to come out a couple of times and just say, oh, you're going to have to ask the coach... I've wanted to do this. He doesn't listen. You know, I've played for coaches like that. One in particular that I can remember. And it's just, you just don't want to be there. You, you, you'll play. You don't care if you lose because you just, you don't like the coach. They just don't understand you. They don't understand how you want to play. Like as players, you should have a good, you know, input into how you play the game because you know your strengths. You should be able to go to your coach and say, this is what we're feeling. This is how we think we should play because it benefits X, Y, and Z. And if they just come back to you and say, no, then it's just trying to put a square peg into a round hole. It doesn't work. And pretty soon cracks are going to start to show. And that's exactly what's happened. 
Yeah, he likes to steal ideas from other sports, as we've said. Like, he'll go on about, oh, I went and saw this at that club, or this from the NBA, this from the All Blacks, blah, blah, blah. But what you'll see in the successful NFL and NBA teams is certain players are almost coaches. They get trusted that much by at an organization that the greats get entrusted to lead a team. That, I'm talking, you know, LeBron's over there, quarterbacks, NFL, whatever. But, like, at the Broncos, it was like, this is Seabold's rule. I am the head coach. You listen to what I say. But as, as, you, as you said, Ben, mate, these are all grown men. This is not coaching a, a, a kid's team. Grown men who have played the sport for 10 years want to say in how the, how the game was played, no matter what club you're at. And they wouldn't listen to his feedback. And it's obvious they just stopped giving a shit playing for him. But they even came out and said all that. And that's just part of being a good coach is like, you're not just Mr. Tactics. You don't go out there and send some weird game plan. You have to listen to feedback from your players and how they want to play the game because otherwise they won't, won't want to play the game for you. Well, his dictatorship had sort of worked, you know, in, you know, junior footy where the dads yeah. are out behind the line. That's how Seabold should maybe resurrect his coaching career. Go back to under eights, stand behind <laughs> the line, coach him how you want to coach him. That way you can be out on the field. You can point him which way to go. You can tell little Johnny to stop jumping up and down on the corner to get back into the line and do his work. But yeah, in, in all seriousness, though, I think one of the biggest things about you know, us as a club and the the fact that everyone's not playing for him is defensively, while we've been made bad reads and some weak tackles and everything like that, there's been zero line speed that I can remember any, like throughout any game. Mm. There is no urgency to get off the line. No one wants to work together. I watched this little thing on NRL.com today, the game plan. And Matt Elliott, you know, highlighted a couple of little plays and a couple of little scenarios in which the Broncos' defensive line was just abominable. It was horrible. And that's just been the story throughout his whole, you know, tenure. He just can't get people to buy into what he wants to do. Yeah, and defence is the hard part of the game, Matt. We can look good and attack some games because everyone likes having the ball. But defence is actually when you show if you're enjoying your footy or not. Because you put in. Yeah, Exactly. Put, yeah, that was, and that's the one thing I want to talk about though. Before we move past that, I want to talk about the the thing he really tied his ship to, and he's really sunk his ship is Brody Croft, and we've been over that so many times. But I can I cannot believe that through all of this that he really went down with that ship in the way he did, and the moment he left, is even his assistant coach doesn't think Brody's any good. Even Peter Gentle was like he picked Sean O'Sullivan this week after an ACL injury and recovering the slowest man alive ahead of Brody Croft. Even he doesn't rate him. But somehow, Seabob was like almost how he thinks he's a touch genius. He's always like, this is my guy. I can see it. No one else can see it. You'll all see it soon kind of thing. Yeah. Like, hey, Bellamy, I'll show you what you missed out on with Mr. Croft here. You're not a coach. It. I'm a coach. Like, yeah, hitching your wagon to Brody Croft um, is just one of the more laughable things we've we've seen, oh, I don't know, in, in recent years, really. Like, Fancy taking the halfback that was dropped from the storm because he couldn't perform at a level that you need to when the big games come and thinking he's going to be your saver, like your saviour. It blows your mind. Yeah. Remember that game when it was towards the end of the game, Storm need a field goal, and Cam Smith literally ran out of dummy half, positioned Brody Croft, told him where to stand, like grabbed his shoulders and was like, stand here, ran back to dummy half to pass him the ball. Like, how can anybody see that and like, yeah, that's the guy I want for my team, Brody Croft? Come, like, come on down. Yeah. Maybe um, Seabold thought Brody Croft was Cam Smith and vice versa, and you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's who I need. That guy, he's telling Cam Smith what to do. Yeah, 
And you go back and listen oh. to the quotes over the offseason. They're so embarrassing. He's talking about how he's found this guy who understands the game. He's a tactician, a technical player, going to execute my game plan, all this kind of stuff. It's like, man, I don't know what Brody sold you either. I've heard Brody speak. It ain't impressive, but he sold you a, a goddamn dream. But to go down for so long, everybody in the public screaming out for Dearden to play, it was, it was, that was like a finger to everyone else. Like, you'll see. Brody Croft will show us the way forward. But anybody who understands the game of rugby league at all, you can watch him play halfback for 20 minutes and you'll go, that guy hasn't got it. Yeah, oh, 100%. And, but, like, you know, I've seen the videos that you've cut up of Brody Croft and not digging into the line. And, oh. uh, and that, that's, see, that's one thing. Like, as a half, you've got to be able to dig into the line. We've seen Dearden do it. You see Jake Clifford do it at the Cowboys. Like, obviously, all the good halves dig into the line, are, you know, are willing and able to take that punishment to create that extra man. Obviously, Croft shifts the ball early because he's, I don't know if he's scared of getting hit, but he's just not, he just doesn't do it. He doesn't get hit. But then it's his skill set that is just so, so awful. Like his passing game is just shocking. His kicking game is average at best. And he makes like a, that, they, I saw a replay today of that tackle or attempted tackle mm. Uh, against the Tigers where he sort of like it was worse than Cartwright's effort two years ago or whatever it was and I was furious instantly it just I'm like how the hell can you manage to be an NRL halfback like I've played in local footy comps with halfbacks that are better than Brodie Croft and I truly believe that by the way I've said it to people before and people ask me where do you think he sits and I genuinely think he's not in the top 50 halves in this country no, he's not. I, like, I've got a mate that I played um, league and touch footy with on the sunny coast, and he would absolutely tear shreds off Brodie Croft. Yeah, and, and Brodie might get away with if he goes back to Queensland Cup because he's got some wheels on him. He might get away with a few things because he has some wheels. But, like, he, all of his basics of the game, as you said, the fact he won't dig into the line, he shifts the ball poorly as well. He's a guy who passes early, but he hasn't got, he hasn't got a quick shift on him. It, it, it's, a, it's a poor shift. And he can't kick. His defense is terrible. I don't know how he got the opportunity he did and the position he got at two of the best clubs in the league. Obviously, the Broncos suck this year, but he somehow got all that opportunity. I don't know if I've seen a halfback with such less, well, such fewer talents play as much league as he has at top level. Well, and you can forgive the storm because they would have picked him up out of a junior sort of development area. They go, okay, look, this kid's going all right. He's he's a good half in underage footy or, you know, whether early reserve grade, whatever it may be. You can go, okay, yeah, this kid's got some skill. Let's get him down here and try and develop him. His first, well, I don't know, six months or whatever, they're like in and out of the team. And then they gave him the, the run after Kronk left. And they pretty quickly found out that, no, nah, this is not our guy. He's not the guy we thought he was. And for the Broncos or for Seabold, like we can't put this all on the on the Broncos, but like Seabold courted him, flew him up to Sydney to have coffee or whatever in that cafe. And like to go after a guy that's just been told you're not good enough to play in the finals and think that that's your guy. Like, how can you be that naive or that big headed that you think you can change this guy or think he can offer our team what you think he can provide? It, it's, it's crazy. With Tom Deard in there as well. and that's Exactly I think, right. I think my main takeaway from this is I'm going to just join an MLM scheme like Isagenix or something and get Brody Croft under me because he can sell ice to Eskimos. They buy. So <laughs> I think could. of all the money I'll be making when he's just selling Isagenix to everybody. Yeah. Like, 
I'm going to make so much money off doTERRA. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's, it's, that is the tough thing, though. Like, like, I know people will, will try and say, fans without a clue will try and say he got left a poor squad somehow. And, and I can admit there was a couple of holes in that roster. We all know they're there. There was, there was oh, a hole sure. at hooker. There was a hole at halfback. And the hole at fullback became a thing. But he had the opportunity to fix those holes. And he chose, at, at halfback, he chose Brody Croft. He thought Jesse Arthurs might be something. He chose him. And then he didn't go and get a hooker, whatever. But like, he went and got Seguiaro last year. He was okay. But the guys that he really wanted were the, those four that he brought were Kenner, Kennedy, uh, Brody Croft, and Jesse Arthurs. And I don't know any head coach in the league who would willingly tie their career to those four players ever again. I don't know if there was much of a hole at hooker. Like, I know McCulloch basically was the hole, but I think you could fix that by, like, addition well, by subtraction. Turpin was there and Nicarima was there. If you played, if you just buggered off Nick, uh, McCulloch and kept Turpin and Nicarima, I think that is like combined. One, you got one of the, the top half hooker in the comp anyway. Like there, I think both of those are more than serviceable. I don't know if that's much of a hole. Obviously, mm-hmm. fullback became a hole with Darius Boyd, but I also don't think that would have been the same hole if, like, say Wayne Bennett was still at the club and Darius like actually cared about the person that was coaching. So I actually, I actually think that. The fullback position was handled the worst out of them all. I I know we got Croft and that's a shocking um, get, but like Dearden was there. So all he had to do last year or yeah, last year. And then, I mean, Dearden hurt himself. That's why he was out for a little bit. But once he was fit again, Dearden should have been back into the side. So there's your halfback, Milford's your 5'8". And the way he handled the fullback spot by leaving Darius there for too long, and then he's completely butchered the confidence of both Jermaine Izacco and Tessie New. Like, both of those guys would have been, and still can be, good fullbacks. Like, Jermaine had a great couple of weeks of fullback after he lost the job to Jack Bird, but then he started the season there again, and he was actually quite serviceable. He looked good, he was running, he was pushing up through the middle as a good fullback should do. All Jermaine needed was time. Yeah. Because he won Rookie of the Year. He scored more points than anyone. He was great under the high ball. His confidence was, you know, all-time high. All he needed was that same confidence to be put into him at fullback. And we're not even having this conversation. Like, then to move him, then Tessie, then Milford, now back to Boyd. And you and I, Mitch, have had many conversations about Boyd. While his attacking game is okay in terms of that last pass when he is, you know, running that out the back sweep play. Mm. That's all well and good. But defensively, he murders my brain. I can't fathom how people on the outside, experts, all of these people can't see that when he positions himself, he'll put himself at marker or just on the other side of the ruck to where the ball's going to make it look like he's making an effort to get to the play. And if he's three or four steps behind, I was still making an effort. But you watch every other fullback, you watch Chance, you watch Teddy, you watch Drinkwater, you watch, you know, Pappenhausen especially, you watch all of these guys and they find out where the playmaker is, the main playmaker, they get to him and then they go from there. And just that last play against the Dragons, I mean, down four, two minutes to go, they're kicking from 70 metres away and you somehow get tackled in goal. Spare me with him actually putting in an effort. Yeah. Hundred percent, mate. Like that, he didn't put an effort. He's been playing selfish for a long time, and that's another one of the the checks against Seabold is that he put up a bit too. 
I know we've mentioned Darius. He was, was talking about the, the center, you know, talking about how much uh, Seabold listened to him. But Seeds put up with that. He didn't, he didn't kick that in the ass in front of the rest of the players. He put up with it. Yeah, but, totally he did. But, but I agree with you, mate. Fullback is one he bottled the most because if you throw in Bird, he would have used five fullbacks this year already, you know? And, that, and that's a shortened season he would have used them. But, yeah, it's just... Um, I think with Darius, he looks to me like... You know when... I mean, we've, I'm sure we've all quit jobs. When you hand in your two weeks' notice and you know you, you're going to be out of there soon enough and you just don't give a crap. You just... You coast in. You don't try. You do, like, 20% of the work that you'd normally do. Hmm. Like, I've, I've left about eight jobs at this point and it's always <laughs> the same, you know? And, like... It just seems like that to me. Like he knows when the end was going to be, and it just happened to be two years out, not two weeks out. Oh, he mailed it in as soon as, like you know, defensively he was pretty bad last year at fullback. But as soon as he found out he was playing centres, he mailed it in big time. And you could see that by his complete lack of line running, uh, any sort of like he just didn't offer anything to Milford on that left edge, like. How can Milford play a playmaker's role when he's got no one giving him anything off the ball? Yeah. It's, it's, it's also like Corey Oates was like leading the league in tries and all, like he, he was Corey Oates, the Corey Oates we all know and love. And then as soon as Darius went to centre, he's, he's scored like one try in like his season and a half since then. Yeah, he scored one try this season and he's in the second row when he scored at Corey. And he scored two since Darius got to his edge last year. Like, that, that was terrible. But I do want to mention, I was talking about how there, was, how there was holes in the roster. And it was only that pretty much hole at halfback. He's now created way more holes for us in that time. Like, he ruined the confidence of almost all those outside backs. I remember laughing in preseason on this podcast. We had, like, 16 outside backs in our top 30. And it's like, how do we have so many of them? We've used all of them. By like, by... Yeah, and we had, like, six wingers. Yeah, we use like all of them by like uh, Vendogo, the Fijian fella. Like, like Parisi's gone, but Kahu's playing now. It's like we use almost all of them. It, it's like killing me that they kill the confidence of so many of them. None of them look like they play, play any good footy. And if they do play it long enough, like Herbie was looking okay at left centre for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden, he's not left centre. He gets center. moved around. Yeah. Terrible. And Herbie's it, one of those shining lights, I think. He is. He is. Uh, anyway, I thought we, maybe we might move forward a little bit. Maybe. But I do want to mention that um, Peter Gendel's the caretaker now and he's not, he's not a head coach. You know, he's not going to be there, uh, you know, in that role next year. Not a chance. But um, it was just weird this weekend watching that game and they played better and they always play better when Dearden's there because they def- can't defend, but they can score points when Dearden plays. But uh, after the game, watching the press conference and not hating my head coach, it mm. was... It was weird. I watched it and it was the first time I've seen, like I watched the last two, but it was like, I'm watching Gentle speak and I'm like, oh, hey, this guy knows he's coaching rugby league. He like, he said like, Dearden is good. <laughs> he said Milford was good. He's like saying, and then he's like, oh, I want to win for the fans and the sponsors. And I, and I feel bad for the fans. And I was like, oh, holy shit. This guy like um, understands the fans matter. Are we sure this guy's a Broncos coach? Because the last guy was telling me like, you know, the, the good fans get on board. Okay. That's it. Good fans are sticking with me. And he said, oh, I believe in me to turn this around. I'll turn this around. I believe in my coaching. I do this. I do that. Never anything about, like, firstly, how actually the team actually played. It wasn't a, some dumb yeah. number he came up with. Yeah. Good fans understand effective contact. That's it, mate. And then, <laughs> and then Gentle had a way of saying this team was young and they lost without saying we lost because we were young. Here's all the 10 debutants. He goes, mate, the young fellas tried. I yeah, noticed that. Go, Simo. Oh, I just noticed that, like, yeah, it was odd because he said essentially similar things to what Seabold was saying, 
but he just didn't come off like a pretentious asshole uh, yes. at the same time. Like, I wasn't furious. <laughs> yeah, like, but and yeah, I think because he's got a brain. That's it. yeah. He was saying similar things, but I like yeah. It just came off a different tone of like you know he wasn't blaming those people. It was like just part of it all, you know. And like yeah, I just I didn't <laughs> hate him for it. Therein lies half the problem with Seabold, though. Like, it's it's about how you can deliver a message to players, mm-hmm. and whether that be as a coach, you know, giving them a game plan. If you can't deliver that message, they're not going to understand it. Same thing as a press conference. He'll come out and he literally blames the youth of the side for the loss. Yeah, the youth of the side aren't going to react well to that because they're all young, they're inexperienced, they're getting blamed for all these losses. Like. Yeah, we're inexperienced, but like we're trying to do our best. Whereas Gentle delivered in a way is like, loved the effort. The young guys were really great. Unfortunately, we couldn't get over the line. It's the same sort of sentiment, but you're not just putting a rod through these kids' hearts. Like you're saying they're trying their best. We're going to get a win soon because they're on the right direction. Not just going, he's got zero games. This guy's got 12 games. They're all under 20 and we suck. That's it, man. And Joel Gould's great article, which which is almost the hardest I've seen NRL journalists go at Seabold or any coach, but his article yesterday talking about how he lost them with the game plan. He mentioned that those press conferences stuck with the players. And like, mm. you know, you go out there round four last year, you've only just been at the, at the club and we get dumped by the Roosters and he's calling the Roosters one of the good teams and not calling us one of them. And how do you think that the guys who watch that think when they hear back, oh, the coaching's there, good, and we're not. And then other things he said, the coach says, we're youthful, we suck, I told you lost. They, they're yeah, watching but, the same thing we're watching. But that, that's a, it's a perfect example, though. Round four last year, we're playing the Roosters. But, you know, rewind the year before that, we're one win behind the Roosters for the minor premiership. Mm-hmm. Literally and, one game separated those two teams the prior year, yet in four rounds, you've called them a good team and our team not a good team. And the year before, when Wayne was there, we were, what, six and two against top four sides. We played them all twice, and the only team we lost to the Storm twice. We mm-hmm. beat the other three two times each. We swept the other three top four sides. Well, like, the, the Roosters hadn't beat us in Brisbane we were on since that level. Griffin. Yeah, the Roosters hadn't yeah. beat us in Brisbane since Griffin, and that was the game they beat us in when they scored eight points in the last, like, or two tries in the last, like, four minutes. Like, they, under Wayne, we beat them every time in Brisbane, and they were a good team, obviously. And, yeah, four weeks into the Seabolt's tenure, oh, we're not like the good teams... Terrible, but it was just good to see like gentle come in, and I know it's only a short distance to go here, but I have some faith that once Haas is back on deck, and I don't know if Milford will be back, but I have some faith that he might actually win a game or two from here because it's quite clear that the boys are enjoying themselves more. You'd think, and and I think the clearest sign of them enjoying themselves more is that I don't think Seabob was going to get punted if he didn't go on this break. Yeah, I agree, but I feel like the two week break. It must have shown people internally how different the place could be without him there. I don't know how you guys feel. Yeah, I, no, I completely agree with that. I, I, you could just see that, that there was a little bit of, you know, you know, while we did lose, there were signs of being good. I mean, I still hated the fact that Darius celebrated like he just won mm. the World Series, <laughs> setting up one try. Like, you can't run through and just start jumping and pointing to the crowd and have the try score have to find you, like... It's a team game. You celebrate as a team. You don't run off. You just you got to celebrate together. I mean, that just shows where Darius is at. But you know, as for Gentle, like you said, I think the two weeks away from Seabold's manic 
you know, how he goes about trying to train, how he goes about trying to speak to people in team meetings, how he goes about all those things has, it's obviously taken its toll on everyone. And I think Gentle said that in his presser, it was that he just wanted to bring the fun back to the game a little bit, Mm. take it a little bit easier at training, just let the guys go through what we want them to do, throw some ideas at him, let's work this into the game plan. And you could, you could just see that, you know, while we didn't get the actual result on the weekend, it was a better, more cohesive team. Yeah, and it was a more cohesive team with a much worse team on the field. Anyway, sorry, Simo, you were going to say something. Um, yeah, well, I was going to talk about, obviously, if, if these guys are playing a bit, you know, having more fun and stuff. Well, next two games, we've got Roosters, Panthers, and then what, Titans, Eels, Cowboys. I don't mind, I think, that the, first, the, the two hardest first games, I don't think are winnable. But I don't mind if, like, you get some time under gentle and like everyone's like, you know, enjoying themselves a bit more. And then you get games that you might consider winnable after that. I definitely think we could snag two between Titans, para and Cowboys. Yeah. I mean, probably only need one to beat the Bulldogs, but you know, yeah, we ne- we do need that. And uh, so Payne Haas is out this week, but he's back. So we need him. Essentially you're looking at that Titans game, win that one. And you probably avoid the spoon. Yeah, I think that's the one you're looking at most. But I think even, like, Para have looked a bit up and down recently. Mm. That's probably doable. And then we have Cowboys at Suncorp as well, which yeah. is the reverse of what normally happens. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I mean, who knows? You could have two weeks and the side looks just as bad and those three games aren't winnable. But they've looked better the last couple of weeks. I definitely could see us winning one or two in there. Yeah, so we're expecting Corey Oates potentially back this week or next. And he, you know, I don't know if where he plays anymore this year. We'll f- figure that out. But Alex Glenn's will be back around 17, 18. Coates around 18. Maybe Flegler around 18. Milford probably before then. Like I thought Flegler the- ruled himself out for the year then. Did he? I thought I know yeah. they did his shoulder, but I thought he's also still a chance again this year, like after like four weeks or so. The Broncos yeah. injury reports. So anyway, well, anyway. Well, so anyway, well, if we have back Oates, Glenn, Coates, Milford... Bit of a different vibe there. We, we're definitely missing, like, Payne Haas are going to have to do some miraculous things the rest of this year without our middles. But yeah, for sure. Could win some games with those guys back. And, like, you know, we've, we've said before that there's actually a good team in this squad. Mm. There is, yes, some pieces that need to be made um, right. You know, obviously, we need a fullback. Well, I don't know what happens with Milford. Like, Milford hasn't been playing happy footy. Clearly, the mm. game plan doesn't suit him. Like, it's not... It's not his fault necessarily. He hasn't played well, but he's also a product of a team that's not playing well. And, you know, you can't just lump it all on him. But there's a good team in there. There's just obviously like a key few acquisitions need to be made. Like losing dead weight is obviously a good thing. Like you, the sooner we get rid of Darius, we've said this for a long time, the sooner we get rid of Darius, the better. We can have someone that fullback that actually wants to defend and attack. Um mm. And, you know, there's good good signs in this actual squad. It's about having the right guy to, you know, listen to them for one and implement a game plan that's not algebra. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess I'll ask that question before we actually go into questions. We've kind of covered this before, but now we've actually hit that point. Who do you want them to chase this off-season? And outside of who you want them to chase... What do you think of Kevy and Paul Green? I want to start with Simo first. Simo, who do you want him to chase? And what do you think of the two obvious candidates? Well, starting with the two, I mean, we talked a bit about Green. He would be the two, the one I prefer over those two. But, and 
it's just crazy that, you know, two years ago, these two both seemed like a disaster, like disaster options, like end of days, kind <laughs> of fold the club type of appointment. And yet now both of those are upgrades, um, yeah. which is just an absolute laugh. I, I honestly think green could be all right. I think, you know, the side... I mean, people are probably going to people think that Broncos are the squad's basket case right now, but I honestly think it's a better squad if you got a decent coach than most still out there. And I think if Green came in, you'd probably still get a decent side, and you, I think you'd do okay. Um, Kevy, I would only really want if you had like eighty-three great assistant coaches around <laughs> you, there to like drink with the boys and hype them up before games, which that's never going to happen. But whatever. Outside of that, I, I don't know enough about what what you know great coaches could be out there like i didn't know adam o'brien a year ago and then you know he comes in and he's great at the night so i i don't know too much about that one but mm. um honestly just bring wayne back that's all i want <laughs> just bring wayne banner back <laughs> so uh, benny what are your thoughts uh of the two uh well those two candidates i think you and i have spoken before a thousand times about it that they should move heaven and earth to try and get bellamy mm. but you know if whether if that's that's my first go-to like i know all the talk has been about green and um and walters but i would honestly be moving heaven and earth for the next two months just to get in his ear see you know get the vibe off him he's obviously contracted to melbourne for next year but you know if cam's gone maybe we can snaffle cam smith to play for one year bellamy coach bellamy can move into a director of coaching role so he still gets his retirement per se without that full-time coaching gig. And, and then you can have, you know, Cam Smith, whether he wants to go into coaching or not, it seems like he probably would like to in time, mm. but then maybe you can have a green or someone like that come and take over the role for the, for the time after that. But anyway, that, that's probably all a pipe dream, but I'd still be moving heaven and earth for Bellamy, but of the two I'm with Simo. I think green would be a better coach um he would i would almost have walters as an assistant for green um you know because walters has obviously worked with the club before i dare say him and green have probably got a good relationship um both being ex-players you know the queensland connection and all that sort of thing but i think paul green can bring a decent sort of structure to the to the side whereas kevy can actually work with the halves get them playing a bit more free football a bit more ad lib stuff you know, not as structured when we actually start to get into the red zone. Like we look awful in attack at the moment. So I think Kevy could be a good attacking coach. I think Paul Green would be a better systems coach in terms of running plays or getting structure and all that sort of thing. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'd probably say I'd prefer Green to Walters, but Walters would bring back a multitude of older players that could all act as assistants and stuff like that as well. And I think a new CEO knows that if you've got a rookie coach, which Kevin Walters is, he's going to need good, strong assistance around him. So if that's Iken as the CEO, just listening to him, there's no way he'll let someone come in and just rule the roost in terms of being a, a head coach and having his yes men around him. He's going to put in good, strong assistance around whoever comes in as a coach. And I think that can only be a good thing. So the thing that worries me about Kevy is like, He's applied for like 17 different NRL first grade coaching gigs and every single club has told him to just get stuffed. Like 
he he has to be the world's worst interviewer. Like, great. No, Jeff Tuvey. Tuvey must be pretty bad. Tuvey got a gig though. So, but like, almost if you are a player as good as Walters, you're almost guaranteed a coaching gig at some point. Like, how does he not? (laughs) How does he not have had one? But honestly, like. I'm sure you guys have heard the story, but it was before, like when the Broncos were starting up, I forget the name of the guy, but they wanted Wayne Bennett Paul and King old Morgan. mate goes, yeah, he goes down and he's like, literally says to Wayne Bennett, I'm going to f- like sit on your front porch until you sign this contract and come back to Brisbane with me. Someone just go do that to Bellamy. Just like, I'm, I'm sitting here. Lock him in. Yeah, well, it's, not, it's not even <laughs> literally 15 minutes up the road. Go do it. Just literally like, I'm going to, I'll go to, give you the rona if you don't sign this contract like. <laughs> like like for me the stuff on bellamy like i know we've all had that dream for pretty much since like 2006 that he'd replace wayne and come back but i do feel like this is like the last hurrah and the best time to go for it is like you go to him and you go to cam and you stroke those egos and you go listen listen craig look you know wayne to prove he was the greatest he had to go to the dragons and win at the dragons and you know pe- you, you've won here you felt fa- you in melbourne you failed at origin but do you want, don't you want to be the guy who could come to Brisbane and win at the Broncos, turn this around? If you, and then same thing in camp, if you came here and turned this around, it would be undisputed you were the greatest. So no one would yeah, have, in other words, do it. You've had Smith, you've had Cronk, you've had Slade, you've had yeah. Inglis. Like, you've had all of these guys. Come to Brisbane, we'll give you whatever you want. Like, <laughs> yeah. you want a house on Red Hill? It's yours. Like, we'll give you anything that we can within the realms of possibility for you to come and spend two years coaching. Craig, I mean, yeah, Cam, you come as well. You train whenever you want. You're just there coaching the side as well. Like, just you two. There you go. We want you two both. Like, because literally, if you got Craig Bellamy and Cam Smith, that's an automatic, like, nearly top four team next year. 100%, mate. 100%. And you think about how well they execute with guys like Milford when Cam is doing all the control and then Tom's the seven. You just wait and see what those two could do just using Milford to his pure strength, for example. Like, the whole team would lift, but it's, for me, you have to chase those guys. And I wouldn't even bother talking to other coaches until I know that, like, I cannot get Craig. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to, you know, you've got to spend the next two months, three months heckling Craig Bellamy saying, come to Brisbane. It's got to be like Bart and Lisa when they want to get a pool, like, you know. <laughs> Craig Bellamy, you just got to be up there in his bedroom every night asking for Craig Bellamy to come to the Broncos because he's the one coach that we need. Mm. If you say we need a coach, it's Craig Bellamy. But other yeah. one, the other one yeah. I wouldn't mind, and this is probably not a whole people thought about this, and you know, bugger the haters, but Shane Fleming and I like people talk about him always a cheat and everything. I would not give a crap about that. If he came and coached the Broncos, I'd be like, yeah, shoot up the players with whatever you want. Let's win something. Yeah. <laughs> you man, know, I actually I don't mind either. Yeah. And, um, and the other one, I, I really like him right now, but there's, he's probably not even close in the running, but I really like what Todd Payton's doing. And they, they won't look at him at all. But I do think what we, what we have to be prepared for is like, you know, even right now the Cowboys job is open and that's an appetizing job. And, there's been reports of multiple contracted coaches trying to get that job. There's going to be some coaches going for our job we don't even know about yet, which is very interesting. Very interesting we see, like, a Michael Maguire, for example, I wouldn't mind, you know, looking at their job. And maybe we can, you know, look at other ones. Like, maybe a Flanagan reaches out and who knows. But it's going to be interesting in a few weeks. I just don't want the club to, like, put it as Green versus Walters because... Yeah, 100%. And that's the media-driven thing at the moment is, like, because Walters is such a good guy and, you know, he's a Bronco through and through... 
that's great. Like, I love the fact that he's all those things. Doesn't make him a good coach. Like, mm. we just got absolutely burned by a rookie coach. We don't want to get burned by another rookie coach. Like, Walters doesn't have a great resume as a coach either. Mm. You know, like, I don't, you can't even really count Origin because obviously Bellamy never won a series. And Walters is what, two series wins, two series losses? Yeah. So, and then he's, and he's, Coaching before that, I think in reserve grade and over in uh, the Super League, I don't think was that flash either. Like he's, it's not like he's knocking down the door with results. Like we've got to be, yeah, you can't afford to get caught up in this media-driven mm. Walters versus Green. Like there's got to be a good amount of time spent a asking for Bellamy, but b waiting for others, waiting for the season to finish before you can actually get a gauge on who's going to apply for the job. What, tra- what contracted coaches are going to apply for the job, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I definitely, you know, and they say they're not going to rush into it. So, fingers crossed they stick to that and we can actually, you know, give it due process. That's it, man. That's, that's what I, because the rush into it and make it a, a competition of two or three men is exactly what we did last time. And I want that process to change. And the best sign so far, as you mentioned earlier, Ben, that Paul White is not part of that process anymore. And I don't know what's coming in the off-season, but the next CEO has to be a part of that and potentially the next chairman has to be a part of that decision, not who's well, there now. There was, I mean, a classic me here, didn't read the article, just read the headline, but they were saying that see, uh, Paul White wasn't going to be a part of the next yeah. coaching search. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's just, that's only a good thing. Yeah, he's pretty much just like, you know, and he's been absent from almost everything for the last two months, but... He pretty much just said, yeah, look, I'm going to stay away from it unless they ask me to do anything. Um, I mean, but yeah, like, we've just got to keep him out of it. That's, that's more than fair. When he came in, his first decision was get rid of Henjack and bring in his guy, which was Griffin. It's, it just seems ridiculous to hire a brand new coach like three days before the new CEO takes over. That's it, mate. And before we move on to question time, the last thing I want to mention is the other big thing the club has to resolve now is the Tevita Pangai issue. And obviously everyone knows I'm <laughs> Pangai biased. It does feel like he's gone no matter what, but I've interested to see the last few weeks how Lockyer has come back on side, how Pangai's put his ha- you know, hat in his hands and, and gone on TV and pretty much begged for his job. But it's also been the, the weird third party thing weirdly mentioned. You know, maybe there's a third party deal we kind of owe him. All weird, but and also rumors that apparently both Kevy and, and Paul Green want him. But I do kind of think, and if you could get him to buy into it, hey, Pango, let's just deal with this in like November 1st. <laughs> Can we wait and deal yeah. with it when we get the next coach? I, I agree. And, and I think, like, from what I heard today, that the board is apparently split. So I don't know if it's just Lockyer that's pro Tavita Pango. Like, there might be, I'm not sure how many people are on the board. But it's obviously there's more than one by the sounds of it that actually wants to keep him. And, you know, obviously he can go on the TV and say he wants his job and he wants to stay at the Broncos, which is all well and good. But obviously he's made a mistake and he wants to keep his contract. But I don't actually think he wants to leave the Broncos either. I think he wants to actually not just see out his contract. I think he actually wants to stay for longer than that. So I'm a big TPJ guy. I know he's done some dumb shit and I've been critical of him doing that stuff. But... He's a player that you need in your team. Like Josh Maguire, I hate, you know, we loved him, but he did just as much grubby, dumb shit than as TPJ and everyone mm. lauded him because of his gamesmanship. So we've got to have a couple of those guys. Like Payne Haas is obviously terrific, but we're going to need some people that can bring aggression, 
toe the line a little bit and, you know, give us a point of difference in our pack. We need him, mate. Okay, definitely after losing Fafita, we need him. And as you said, like, it's come out already. He admitted he didn't respect. He wasn't really respecting the joint. You know, a bit of discipline issues. And that comes from no one else respecting the joint at the moment. And he's meeting the board on Friday. And I totally think they have to keep him. Because even if they... They might not even win the legal, legal battle anyway, the breach cause. So the mm-hmm. breach of They might not even win that anyway. I do think they need to keep him. And the way he reacts, as you said, mate, I do genuinely believe that... Like, I've never seen a player do what he did. Pretty much go out and beg for his job at the state of the current club. There's genuine, genuine words in that he wants to be at Brisbane, the way he begged. It did seem like there was a bit of contrition there. Like, he... I mean, it's easy to look sort of, like, sad and sorry for yourself. But, like, when you hear him say, no, I came to this club when I was 19. I want to see out my contract. I want to stay here more. It's, it's a great club. I did take it for granted. And, you know, this obviously comes back to Seabold as well and the way he coached and the way he wasn't able to manage the men that he had in his team. Like, when you think about it, he's letting a whole bunch of experience go. Now, that's not just on the field. That's off the field as well. Experienced guys can keep other guys in check. When all the experienced players go, who've probably challenged Seabold and said, look, this is how we want to do things. We want to try and change things. Seabold's first reaction is probably to go, well, you can bugger off. Like, yeah. I don't mind if you leave and go to a different club. But it he also... hates the centres. Yeah, it, it, it affects the players off the field. And then you get young guys who don't have any sort of leadership around them going and doing the things that TPJ is doing. And, um, you know, it's obviously a big wake-up call for him. And fingers crossed we don't lose him. But, you know, I really think that he wants to stay with Brisbane. And, and I hope that happens going forward. And, um, oh. and Sorry, Simo. Go ahead, mate. Well, all this said on TPJ, though, like, hypothetically, he does have to leave. Just really throw every single board member under the bus for us, please, mate. Get them all cleaned out. <laughs> Peter Nolan, Peter Nolan, see your champ. Like, Darren Lockyer, yeah, he, he also was in on this. Just get them all. Well, yeah. Turfed a lot of them. And it was another great example of the current administration with how they handled this after all the lessons they've been taught the last two years. And obviously, they regretted some of the contracts. They regretted not getting rid of players when they could have but they still got to this point and they still got someone from HR to write a fake legal note up with a bad breach notice of contract. <laughs> yeah. They had to rescind. They still did that. Uh, and, they, and they jumped the gun on trying to pun him. None of it was legal. <laughs> like They still did that. After just, they've been taught. I love how they have 11 players breach COVID protocol or like Apollo protocol or whatever it is. Mm. And then they give one of them a breach notice and not the other 10. Like how... How stupid are you actually? Like, yeah. Well, all they have to, all that have to do is actually interview them to find out that they probably all had done it multiple times, which was one of the things against EPJ was that he'd breached it multiple times and he admitted that. Like, if you do interview the other players that went to the pub and stuff, I'm sure that that one time wasn't their sole time of breaking, no matter how innocently. Yeah, protocol. Like, I mean, it would have happened for sure. And then all of a sudden, you've got 10 guys who you're going to have to show a show cause notice to as well. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, Simo, we've got some questions there. Let's go on to those questions. Yeah, we've got a pile here. Um, we'll start on Facebook, as always, from Johnny. Are we risking the same results occurring by looking at Kevin Walters as coach? The experts keep saying he's great because he has had great mentors like Bellamy and Wayne. Seabold has also had great mentors. I think we should throw everything at Bellamy, even if it's unlikely he will come. Mm. Kind of touched on this before. I think we all agree there. Uh, um, just quickly on that one, uh, Wayne did mention today that he would be in touch with Kevin if he was to get the job. 
which can only be a good thing because obviously if Kevy does get the job, then Wayne's going to be on his side. He can actually sort of learn from him on the go. So, you know, while if Kevy Walters did get the job, it might not be the worst thing because A, he does love the club and B, Wayne's in his corner. So we could get that little bit of sort of help from Wayne while not directly coaching. I think if Kevy was the coach, I don't think... I think Seabold's two years is the worst top flight coaching I've ever seen in any sport. Mm-hmm. And people talk about Souths in the NRL and people like early years. Um, and people talk about the Knights and like, but they were bad teams uh, being coached. Yeah. Yes. They, yeah. The Broncos is a completely different kettle of fish. Literally like you've got a billion advantages up here that obviously a brand new South team didn't have. And like, that night's team was like with Tinkler and everything that happened there and not paying players and everything like, and then um, Rick Stone gave Jake Memo a contract <laughs> for like a, bi- a billion dollars. And still that was Wayne Bennett's fault. Like there's, there's other things at play there, but for this, all the advantages you should have Seaboard comes in and the media is writing articles about how he should be winning a premiership and being top four in the first year. Like this is, I don't see, on a, a bag of rocks could coach better than Seabold did the last two years. Like, I don't think Kevy would even go close to that. Now, Kevy's, you know, and for all his, you know, whatever his lack of experience as a head coach and everything like that, I, I do think him coaching the Broncos is a completely different thing. Like, the respect and the love that he has for this club, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't want anything but good results. And while that doesn't always translate to coaching, like obviously every coach wants good results, but it's almost like a Ricky at the Raiders type thing. Mm. You look at the Raiders performing under Ricky now, the last sort of three years. Yes, they had like a little bit of a bad patch, but he's doing things with that side now. And even now, like you watch them playing without Hodgson, like they are playing really, really good footy. What he's done with Whiten is fantastic. What he's done with Nickel Clockstad, fantastic. Like Tom Starling is playing at hooker and he's doing, you know, unbelievably good things at the moment. I I think that Kevy can have a similar effect given there are the right people around him on the Broncos. Yeah. Uh, From Daniel, do the Broncos need a coach with a softer touch like Kevy or someone who will dish out the tough love, which will get better results? Um, Like the stuff with with Kevy, like, I don't know. You know, you, you Benny, what, oh, you let go, Benny. You got it, Benny. Uh, I mean, they, they obviously need some, it, it's a mix. It's a, you've got to yeah. be able to manage, man. It's it, some guys need tough love. Some guys need to be cuddled. Like James Roberts needed to be cuddled. Like Bennett handled him superbly. He's handled other players like that superbly as well. You've got to know what sort of people you're dealing with before you know what kind of, um, you know, discipline or whatever to give them. Like, like I said, there's weekend warriors. There's guys that show up on the weekend and they, that can just play footy. Like you've got to have those guys in your team, but then there's also the guys in your team that want to train, you know, nine hours a day and be as disciplined as all hell. So you've, you've just got to, you've got to have a mix of both. You've got to know how to treat both types of players. It can't just be your way or the highway because that's when you'll get fractures because some guys are going, I'm training my ass off. He's not, why not? Um, so yeah, I think, you know, it's got to be a little bit of a mix of both and you know, I think Green looks like the hard guy. Walters looks like the soft guy. But I think both of them can probably do a job. Um, like I said, you've got to surround yourself with good assistance to be able to to be able to do both. I think. 
Yeah, uh, from Vince. Uh, hey, guys. All I can say is about time and hopefully some more fall on their swords. All the board does need to do that. Uh, from Jaden. Question for Mitch. Where'd the Hollywood Gillette nickname come from and what does it mean? Man, that's a, that's, that's a throwback. Um, so it came from like Hollywood Matt Gillette because he always thought he could win the game. Like he was classic, like do things for himself, you know, and he overrated his own abilities very often. And I'm not trying to diss him, but it happened a few times, a few times at work, mate, when he pulled out that charge down and chased that ball against the Titans and won us the game. But it was Hollywood Matt Gillette because he always wanted to see his name on the poster after the game. He wanted Matt Gillette wanted the moment. It always seemed like, remember that, Nathan Friend, uh, well, he set up the try where he, he jumped up, caught the kick, backflipped, and like threw the ball between his legs. And then that play went around the world. And it seemed like Matt Gillette was trying to make that happen every single time he touched the ball. Like he wanted he that wanted, sports center top 10. Yeah, he was wanting that every single time he touched the ball. And often, like, yeah, as you said, the Titans game, sometimes it worked, most times it didn't. Uh, Last one on Facebook from Bluey. Can't celebrate just yet. The idiots that employed Fat Tony whilst knifing Mr. Burns are still there. <laughs> Very true. Um, Facebook. Uh, sorry, over on the Twitter now. There's a pile more on Twitter. Uh, from All Sport Matters, Cam Smith is captain coach. It's nowhere near as ridiculous as it sounds, right? <laughs> it's, oh. it's not. It's really not. Could you, like, I had playing like reserve grade AFL in the Capricornia region up here. So you can imagine that the, the tier of that AFL is, is quite high, but yeah, we had a captain coach here and I, man, if that was in a professional sport again, like a full top level professional sport, captain coach, that would make me and Budu just so happy. I think Wally Lewis did it for Gold Coast. Yeah. That's the, the Chargers. Was it the Chargers or the Seagulls at that time? Seagulls. I think Seagulls. Yeah. Well, I just want to cut in. There's a poor Kemp quote that came out. He, he said, Seabold lacks authenticity. And yeah, no, he said it on NRL 360. Yeah, I didn't see that. He nailed that. Yeah, no, it was that. He actually, you know, one of the few times that I agree with him. But, like, yeah, he just said his whole speech was very, you know, contrived. And he just, yeah, he lacks authenticity. You can see he's not speaking from the heart. He's not speaking, you know, he doesn't really have that vibe about him that you, he's not believable you don't believe him when he says certain things he's just he, he comes across as like a liar so he, yeah he never seems listening to him it obviously we don't listen to him all day every day but he just never comes across like the type of person you'd want to run through a brick wall for he just seems like a robot almost yeah i'd like to throw him through a brick and that, wall uh, and that's <laughs> what i wanted to say earlier when i lost my, my brain broke when you asked this question i was going to say when you guys mentioned about kevy is like that's one thing that i know i don't rate him as a coach or any of that kind of stuff but it's like he will literally cry if the team let him down he did that in origin <laughs> you want to go back in the dressing room and see an old man crying don't let kevy down he will cry <laughs> yeah he will that uh, mean like that's the only thing that I can, well, not the only thing, but that's one of the bigger things that I think that he would actually bring to the club is that sort of love for the team. And, and that's what, you know, a lot of these guys don't quite understand about the club is how much it means to certain people. And Kevy bringing in a host of the old boys and assistants that have been there, done that, would really, you know, drill it home to those players what it means to be a Bronco. And I think that that's something that wouldn't go unnoticed. 
Uh, raw support matters again. This one's from very left field, but he goes, Eddie Jones, perfect man manager for this undisciplined rabble. Why not? Well, well he's Seabold's mate. So I'm already off him. Like Eddie Jones, one of the ones that's clearly is actually Seabold's mate, but, um, no, he's yeah. a union bloke. Yeah. Uh, Ruby blue 70. Does fat Tony need to borrow you to move his shit out of his office? Can we just give him a box of matches? Um, seriously though, it's clear Bennett spiked the roster. What are the key trades slash buys we need to right the ship? So what do you mean spike the roster? Like, does anyone remember that like Seabold had like six months in the media whinging about how he wanted this job? And like, A, oh, that was A. B, Wayne Bennett didn't want to leave this job. Like, why would Wayne spike the roster for the team he also wanted to coach next year? Like, but you, you can't spike a roster when you not only wanted to coach the team in 2019, which was his final year of the contract, he also wanted an extra year to coach, which would have been this year before Jason Demetrio took over. So if anything, you'd want the roster to be as good as possible. You would not try and do anything to damage the roster when all you want to do is coach. Probably like 14 of the top 17 of the roster at that time played rep football between like tier two nations or origin. Mm. Like, most of those players were rep players still. And there, and there was that issue. We all addressed this. That issue existed at Brisbane of that halfback spot. But Brisbane had signed up at that point of bringing through Dearden. And, and uh, Dearden and Boyd, Tana Boyd were the guys. And he's gone. But, like, they, they believed in that. But one thing that would not have happened under Wayne's watch, and we all know, as he said, when he left, and as he said since he's left, that there's a ret- recruitment and retention committee at Brisbane. He has a say, but he's not in charge. But what wouldn't have happened... We would not have pay, play, paid both Flegler and Joe because he let plenty of young forwards go who wanted money because we, there was, wasn't good for the roster balance. We would not have paid them to keep them. We let Joe Arrow go. I didn't like Jared Wallace, but we let him go when he, when he was looking for money. We let Herman go. Herman, yep. That wouldn't have happened. So you can talk no. about all this spike the roster, but a lot of the issues that are in this roster right now have happened in the last year. Yeah, yeah they're paying the they're paying what people should get after five or six years once mm-hmm. they actually reach their ceiling. Uh, that's what we're currently playing guys who haven't even played 50 games. Yeah. And we're paying, you know, like Lodge has had a bad year and a lot of injury in the year, but we're paying him as well. That didn't happen under Wayne. And, and then the, and the thing with Corey Oates for the whole time, they never gave Corey Oates a good deal. And then they all of a sudden gave it to him when he's gone off a cliff, like that kind of thing. And they haven't, they've failed to lock down the ones they had to lock down. They failed to lock down for feeder. Tony Staggs off contract next year. Dean's off contract next year. Like they have a battle on their hands next season. Like they have Flegler off contract next year. They have to fight to keep those guys too. And you got to try and blame Wayne, but that's none of his fault. None of that's on him. Uh, right, from uh, Eddie and Zed. Thoughts on assistant coaches you'd like to see at the club next year? Assistants. Well, we want to get the head coach first, don't we? I mean, the assistants come with the head coach essentially. Who you know who they work well with. So I'll, I'll, I won't fire on that one yet, but you know, if we, if we got Craig, I'll take Jason Rolls. And I actually yeah. don't, I, th- I think um, that Justin Hodges would actually make a pretty decent assistant as well. Like just working with some of the guys, I think he'd be all right to have. I honestly think I'm a bit shocked that his name doesn't come up a bit more. Like he coaches the origin side and I mean, I've, I don't sit down there and watch them at training, but from things you hear that he's, he's pretty good at that. And, I think people just kind of, in general, kind of shit on him a bit for that. For like, he seems a bit of a, a dumb dumb yeah. from the way people watched him play football and stuff. But I think, he's, I think he's actually a bit smarter than what people give him credit for. 
Yeah, um, he, so what he's doing, he, he has got the career goal of being the Broncos coach. Uh, obviously, Hodges does, but he's the under-20s coach and the um, assistant coach of the Maroons as well. But the under-20s won. I think they hadn't won in a long time, and they, and they won last year. Um, I don't know. This just popped into my mind. But would people see, like, uh, one, at one point, maybe the NRLW being more of, like, a stepping stone to NRL proper head coaching gigs? Like, if you're the head coach of that... Or is an assistant still probably the best way in? I think it's um, I think it's definitely something that will take off. You know, it, it won't be in the next probably two or three years, but five, ten years down the track, I think if there is a good sort of full NRLW competition, then, you know, the head coach of an NRLW side will definitely start getting recognised mm. and, um, you know, it's, see it as a good stepping stone into first grade coaching as well. But uh, at the moment, I definitely think being an assistant is probably... I'd definitely say it's like a stepping stone from being an NRLW coach then to going into an assistant and then to going to a first grade coach. Yeah, I think you nailed it there a bit with saying like you probably need more of a full NRLW competition. I think like I love it at the moment that it's four teams and it's a shorter comp at the end of the year because you have a great standard of football. Like I've watched well, AFLW games and it's not a st- it looks like a different sport almost and so I do love the standard of the NRLW because it's even a sport I watch. I won't watch many women's sport because it just it's the level's not there compared to what you're used to seeing. But like NRLW is there, but yeah, it is a shorter confidence. It seems more like a a tournament almost than a full mm. league. Well, it's got to be a slow burn as well because like you know, being down here in Melbourne, I see a lot about the AFLW and it's a it's a good competition, but they are trying to expand a little bit too quickly to the point where Richmond has had to pull out of like next year's competition because of uh, like, you know, it's obviously got COVID sort of um, reasoning, but again, there's just not quite the money behind it. So you want to be able to have four strong clubs that can survive something like this rather than, you know, 10, 12 clubs. Some of them just are really teetering on the edge financially. So yeah, I, I do think that a, you know, slow and steady sort of wins the race is the, is the way to take it here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Underscore S triple eight is someone like Christian Wolf, who was touted as a future NRL coach five plus years ago, completely off the radar for clubs. I wouldn't say he's completely off the radar, but he's certainly not on it right now. I mean, I guess that's kind of what happens when you, when you head into, um, so he's, he's in St. Helens now, isn't he? But it's when you head down that path of like international rugby league, people forget you. He's a St. Helens head coach now and them not playing doesn't help. Yeah, because he was an assistant with the Bronx, wasn't he? Uh, was he at the Bronx? He was at the Cowboys at one point. Was I'm it Broncos pre- too? I think he was at the Broncos maybe first. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he was Broncos, then Cowboys. And then, yeah, um, Blackhawks as well. And yeah, then yeah. he went to international footy. So he's been, been around a while, but he took... He probably might regret that move because, you know, last year when he moved, it was like all these head coaches that weren't getting sacked. So everyone who was waiting had to like do something. So yeah, Jason Dimitri signed up for a head coach gig in two years. He was sick of waiting, and yeah. Wolf went overseas. But now, like this year, five of them have been punted. It's like there's a few round now. An I saw the go Simo. Oh, I just saw there was a few people complaining how many head coach Melman Inga was the main one probably. How many head coaches have been fired, and he wants more like stability, I guess. And like, I know that this year is more than most years, but like, it feels like it's because this has been building up over previous years, like. Paul Green could have been fired two years ago and it would have been deserved, you know. That's it, mate. Um, my brother actually had a 
question earlier tonight um, <laughs> because we were talking about the coaching staff. Where's Michael Hagen? Uh, he's still coaching Malmeninga's Queensland size. Obviously, because he was like, you know, he coached their side tactically quite a fair bit, but he would have been an interesting person to find out where he is if he's, he's actually still coaching. Yeah, he's still the assistant of the Kangaroos. Yeah, okay. So he's in Australia then. Yeah, he is. And he actually isn't, like, he's 56. He's not young, but it's like, man, he's not that old. He's not no. old, either, no. Like, he, he would be, um, it'd be interesting to to see if he was actually someone that was, you know, whether or not he's looking to get into first-grade coaching again, I'm not sure. But that's mm. a name that, um, yeah, I was, you know, when my brother said it, I was like, ah, oh, that is a good question. Yeah, and I mean, it's so a like, question was... that we all know. It's true. Yeah, so he was at the Knights when they won 2001. So, like, you know. He's got, he's got a premiership. He knows what to do to get there. Wouldn't be the worst. I mean, yeah, and then he was at, you know, he's at Para, and he did okay at Para. Like he got punted, but he, he had a winning record there. But that's back in Para, had high expectations as well. But I'd take but any winning record. But you know, like even having him as an assistant, like, you know, if Kevy's a coach, and why not get someone like Hags in, who's pretty good tactically? There, there's your game plan. Kevy's the man manager a la Mal in the Queensland side. You know, it's a, an interesting thing anyway. Yeah, but his first year at Para, by the way, they lost a prelim to the, to the Storm and he, got, he was gone the next year when they, um, when they got knocked out. In like round 25, they couldn't make the finals. Okay. Uh, right, uh, Mr. Square Triple Eight again. Can we ban anyone named Anthony from coaching our team? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that no works for me. there. Uh, from Mad Dog, can I get a good rant about the effing do-gooders who are defending the worst coach in Broncos history? This has been one of the... I, feel, re- this I just been feel really sorry bad. for him. He's, he's oh. such a good bloke, Seabold. I feel sorry for him. He's, he, he, really, he had the Broncos over a barrel. He should have waited and like just taken his $3.5 and just put up with three years of torture in the press. And just He's a good bloke. It's a, it's a really weird hill to die on, this one. Like... For the last 18 months, everyone has just been super happy to completely ride him, ride the Broncos about how bad they are, you know, talk shit about him, how shit he is, how much of a shit dude he is, uh, how bad he is as a coach, how bad the Broncos are going. The Broncos are the worst club in history. And then Mm. some online trolls managed to flip the whole script to him being hard done by and everyone should feel sorry for him. I'm like, nobody wants anyone's family to get involved like that's that, pretty pretty much but, common sense but like you can't all of a sudden start feeling sorry for a bloke who has bought a lot of this on himself mm-hmm. not his family himself a lot of the criticism is directed his way um and you you know it's that's the nature of social media like dylan grimes from richmond literally just had a guy arrested because he was sending death threats to him and his family like it happens in all sports and you've got to have a thick skin. I'm not saying it's right that people threaten families and all that sort of stuff, but like the way he's gone into bat to save himself from further embarrassment is what he should have been producing towards the football team, saving them from embarrassment. Mm. The script didn't even flip first when all those rumors came out because then like you see a couple of people, they like admit this on Twitter. Like people say like, Oh, they only, People hated him when he was the Broncos, but then as soon as he's not the Broncos, he becomes the victim and then people feel sorry for him. Yeah. And 
nobody cared about the rumors when he was still a Broncos coach. It was funny and everyone was sharing it on the timeline and in their group chats. And then as soon as he's not at the Broncos, it's like, oh, now we feel sorry for him. Like, yeah, turn it up. That is, mate. They don't actually feel sorry for him. All they want to do is just make sure the Broncos get taken for more money. That's, That's it, mate. Literally, the two things is they want the Broncos to have to pay out $50 squillion for him to leave. And they're also half worried that a decent coach might come in and the Broncos might be good again. There's the two things. Yeah, mate. And like, again, I couldn't even give a shit. They paid the whole thing out. It's not my money. They have the money. I don't care. But I think yeah. it's more impacts their coaching cap if it goes over the next few years that they can't, you know, use the full coaching cap. But the other part, mate, like the, the family sympathy that Seabold tried to drum up. It's like, I know I'm not, I don't, I'm not even going to talk about the rumors but how he's brought his family into stuff in the media a few times as a deflection. Like my kids are crying. And you know, when, when you say these things, my family see them on Twitter, all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. Always happy to bring his family into this shit. Yeah. Never, like when he never, first moved. Yeah. Never considered someone else's though, mate. Like when, again, we've been through this on here, but when he came to Brisbane at the start, he took Wayne's job years early, but he also took the jobs of pretty much everyone else who worked at the club and the football department, took all their jobs year early, didn't pull one out for their families. No, you know, this, this is what it is. It's professional sports. It's a performance-based industry. It's not about your family. Everyone you know who loses their job has a family. And it's upsetting that families get affected by this, but that's not what you're based on, being a good bloke or having a good family or, or yada, yada, yada. He got sacked because he's a shithouse coach. Yeah. At the end of the day, none of this has anything to do with your family. You can't yeah. coach, so you're gone. I don't feel sorry for it. He wanted that. He got an opportunity at that club. He got paid fairly, got paid out. That's it. Nothing to feel yeah. sorry for. I mean, like, it's risk reward as far as your career goes. You want to come to the Broncos. You want to force your way in here. If you're good enough and you make it, you're a hero. Like, look at the way most Broncos fans think about Wayne Bennett. If you're good enough, you win premierships, people will love you forever. If you mm-hmm. do what Seabold does, you get run out of town. But Wayne, like, yeah. Wayne never once made anyone feel sorry for him. No, no. He never, never asked for sympathy. He knew this was the job. He knew this came with it. He knew, or he knows all of it. He, even when he's, he was asked about it today, you know, as South, like, he's like, yeah, you've just got to handle it. You know, don't it cry. That's what it is. It's the biggest, it is club it is. In, yeah. biggest club in Australian sport. That's what you get. Yeah. Uh, Brad Craig, 28. How does the next appointed coach manage the list? Does he play the short game and go after experience to make his win-loss ratio look good or play the longer game and build a premiership list? I suggest the next coaching term will be shorter than five years. Oh, I mean, that, that's, I don't, I never, I hate those questions in rugby league, the short and long term. It is always the short term or the medium term at best because you, you cannot keep a squad together for five years. You can't. Yeah, not in rugby league. Pe- people think no. the Roosters and the Storm have had the same team for five or six years. Go back and look at it. There's the same few core pieces, but the machine is completely different around it. Like, you've got to focus on keeping the guys like a Tom Dean and a Payne Haas and we lost for feeder, but those guys, but the rest of it, mate, we want a couple of handy veterans next year and you go from there. We don't want to fit, sit there and plan or look, we'll bring another young fellow who's going to be our hooker in six years time, all that kind of garbage. You need some guys will help us next year and we'll see what happens from then on. Well, yeah. So if you got in like, say the storm's position, you got the Slater Smith Krong. Yeah. You keep those guys. And then, like, look what happens to the Cowboys when they fight and they hit on a <laughs> team that works good. And then they're like, okay, let's keep this team together for five years. So 2015, they win the premiership. Yeah, cool. Keep that team together. Look where they are now. Like, yeah. it doesn't work. You don't want to keep that side together. You want to keep... It's JT rotate, rotate, rotate. 
like grand final is trash two years after that grand final. He was trash three days after that grand final. And he's still Lachlan there. Coote. <laughs> yeah. Lachlan Coote, he was trash like a year after that grand final. We should have moved him on. You get Calvin Ponga. You sign him on a long deal as a rookie and you get good value out of that. Well, you they had like Gavin Cooper, Viliami Kikau. They know. signed Cole Felt to 2024 this year. He's been so <laughs> bad this year. Oh, he's been awful. The, the end of Kyle Felt's career was, I think it was two years ago, where people like seriously suggested him for Origin one year, and then he played the Broncos about two weeks before Origin one, and he dropped about thirty-eight midfield bombs, and that was just downhill ever since then for Kyle <laughs> Felt. But yeah, it's not you. You can't play the long game in rugby league. It's not like in you know baseball where there's a draft and you draft them to you know level A baseball, then they go to double A, then they go to triple A, and then they make their way up into the into the major league squad. Like there's not a, there's not such a, a need for that in rugby league. Like, yeah, you still want to get your junior base and everything well and good. And you want to sign some good young guys that can come through your system and everything like that. But that's not how you play the game. Like we've got to play the game and it, especially with the resources and everything that we've got. And people do take less money to come up here. A, they don't even, it's not even about taking less money. It's about, You'll you'll end up paying the same money by taking less, if you know what I mean. Like our standard of all the cost of living in Brisbane compared to Sydney Mm -hmm. is so much smaller. So I can I can take seven hundred thousand rather than eight hundred thousand and probably come out on top because the cost of living is so much cheaper. So it's not just about taking less to play in Brisbane. It's about being in Brisbane, spending less of that money, and being in a good side as well. So. Um, yeah, it's definitely not a long-term look. Like I said, I think next year we have, you know, with a couple of extra pieces, we've got a final side. Mm-hmm. And 2022, we're competing for the top four again. That's exactly what I said on Bloomberg yesterday, mate. I completely agree with you. And that's it. Like, we just got in this mess thinking we could plan long-term and all these guys would work out. It's garbage. You can't just think of... Like, it's juniors are always going to come, especially for Brisbane. They're going to come. Let them come. Don't plan that in five years, your 16-year-old is going to be our 5'8". Yeah, exactly. I, right. I don't even think you need a couple extra pieces. This side with a decent coach will make finals. Literally half the sides in the comp make a, make a final. Flip yeah. a coin and you make the finals. I, like, look at the not, side. Not, not so much that we need fi- Not so much that we need pieces, but we can afford pieces now. So we mm. can afford a few yeah. more experienced guys to complement some of the other guys that we've got. So yeah, like I said, it's definitely not about needing pieces. It's about finding those compliments to what but, we've already got with the money now that we have free. I think there's also, there's a step up from making the finals to say another piece or two would make you say dark horses in the finals. You could actually yeah. have half a crack in the finals. Whereas I think this side, I don't, I don't think this side, even with a decent coach would be like half a premiership contender in the finals. You, okay. you might make seven or eight, but. And yeah. by the way, I want Toe Harris so bad. He wants to lead the Warriors. We won't even look at him, but I want him so bad because he can play middle and the edge. And like, I don't believe in Glenn. Fafita's gone. And if Pangai stays, I believe in, I have Tohu and, uh, and, and, uh, and Pangai on the edges. And Tohu can captain. Exactly right, he can, mate. And, uh, and I, like another one I want to, and I don't want him to be our fullback. And probably, no one will probably sign him, but I want Nico Hines to be a member of the squad. I'm not yeah, going to say was... he's going to be our fullback, but he can earn that spot. Definitely, yeah. I was, I was thinking of Nico Hines earlier. He's not. He's off contract this year, isn't he? He is, and I'd love him to come in and maybe even be the fourteen, and then you know maybe he turns in the fullback, you know. But it's like a lot of years in the halves in, in his past. Played fullback for the last two years. Been at the Storm. Looks good when he's played. 
I think he'd be a good yeah, signing. Yeah. I just don't want to bring a guy in again and anoint him as our fullback instantly. Yeah. You know? That's what we need, squad players. Yes. Let, them, let them fight it out. Let them, you know, let them dictate where they end up playing by how they perform preseason and that sort of thing. Yeah. I like, there's always a lot of talk about fullback. I think I'm still on a cycle island for that. I might be there. Like three of us might still be there. I was listening oh, I, to I still think he's. I still think he's a good fullback. It's just they, like I said, the way he's been handled and a couple of the other guys have been handled with regards to that fullback role is, you know, stripped back all their confidence. Like, how can you play confidently when you don't even know if you're meant to be the first choice fullback? Like, yeah. it's ridiculous. I was, I was listening to a catching up on an old NFL podcast the other day and. They had a segment like, not what's a hill you're willing to die on, but what's a hill that you're setting up your tent and your hammock and you're living <laughs> on. And Asako is the Broncos fullback is the hill that I'm living on. And there's, yeah. yeah. There's only four of us, four of us camping out there, but we're having, we're having a good life. We're drinking water from coconuts and we're having to swim in the salt water and it's, it's a good life. Well, well, for him, mate, he might get reinvigorated with stuff like today because he was pretty much dead in the water with seeds and, I'm with you guys too. I think Tessie might be a better long-term fullback, but it's like maybe he has a preseason and he comes out looking better next year. But like for me, Jermaine was molding into a decent one. Not a great one, but you know, yeah. decent enough to do the job. We just On, needed um, him to do those little things like we've spoken about, about pushing up through the middle, about, you know, it's little things that he was doing that complemented the way we want to play. Like him being a support player for a Fafita or a TPJ or a Lodge who can get those offloads. Boyd wasn't spotted anywhere near the middle. Yeah, I mean that great Milford try we scored against. He scored against South is from Asako doing that, pushed up and supported, which no one else seems to do in this team. On player invigoration under a new coach, is Parisi still at the club? When's his contract up? He's, no, he's gone. Gone. Yeah. Gone, gone. I mean, I don't know if he's officially gone yet, is he? But uh, you know, he is. He's gone back to Union, isn't he? Yeah, well, he had the drug charges against him, didn't he? Yeah. So they sacked him. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, that's a shame. I, I honestly think he could have been someone. Like, we were excited when he signed, and I just think... Yeah. Ah, uh, you know, another coach, another time. It could have worked out, but whatever. It is what it is, you know. Uh, Butsy Triple Eight in quite a... You know, it's a wholesome message, but he just says he's very happy for us. Thanks, Butsy. He won't be when Michael Maguire signs for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> James K. Underscore thirteen twelve. I'm just happy the saga is over at last. The inmates were truly running the asylum by the end of it. Yes, they were. Uh, Pythago NRL. Do you guys get paid out eighteen months pay when you f up so badly at work you have to resign? Oh, I wish. <laughs> I Man, wish. I wish. Imagine that if you could like show up to work, do a year's work, and then just bugger it up so bad, and they're like, "Here, we'll pay you a year and a half," and you're like, "Cool, I'll find a new job in two years' time." <laughs> I'd love it. Uh, he's he's going to struggle to find a job, I think, for a while. Uh, yeah. Like, well, okay. I'm I'm torn between this because NRL gigs is always like, hey, if you've had the gig before, you get another one again. You'll at least get two or three first. Like, you know, head coaches they'll get two or three gigs, but it was also he's been bad everywhere at every level except for South for one year. Is that enough to give him another gig? Uh, definitely not at the moment. Like I said, he's, he's going to have to die. really fight his way back to, to get an assistant spot because I don't think he's left with any real dignity today. Like I don't, I don't think he did himself any favors. It was a pretty sort of transparent yeah. um, press conference that he held. So, And if you're a head coach now, I wouldn't be, he doesn't, 
I've already seen, he doesn't really look sound like what he'll fall back into the background. I wouldn't want to sign him up as my assistant because he, you know, he kind of already knifed two other head coaches in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, you know, maybe England is an option, but like, yeah. So is I the son. <laughs> <laughs> D. Darrinson, favorite Seabold quote, hard to go past effective contact. The, the first one that really set me off, it was that great team, that good teams do this against the Roosters. Round four last year, it really set, that's why it stuck with me what fucking round it was. But effective contact was up there too when South tailed us. And then halfway through the, the press conference, he's like, actually, it was our best offensive game all the years, our best effective contact. Yeah, like a huge part of that is to do with what game it came after. Because I remember being mad at our defense after that. Like it seemed sloppy, it seemed messy, and we were leaking points. And then he comes out and says, it's one of the best defensive efforts we've had. Like, uh, oh, mine, mine's any, yeah, mine is anything to do with um, spruiking Brody Crocs. So, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anything. Oh, man. Remember, I remember. There was like there was rumors about Brady Croft, and we we're like, surely not. Like, come on. Like, of all the players, surely not. And then someone leaked like there was a, a CCTV cam picture or something of it, like of the two of them leaving that restaurant in Sydney across and from my work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like, ah, no, no. Ugh. It was inevitable at that point. Are you like, oh, get so it's a thing now, huh? Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, Warwick Ahern, zero, 0 Going forward, would moving Milf to fullback, leaving O'Sullivan, Din in the halves, having Turpin, or for some reason Smith coming to Brisbane were viable for next season? No, Milford's not a fullback. Your, shaking Milford. your head a lot there, Benny. No. He's just, he's not a fullback. Like, you know, I love, people fall in love with this idea of, you know, him running in broken play. Mm. that doesn't make you a fullback. You know, like a lot of the time now you're returning the ball into a dead straight line. So you want a fullback that can actually jump for the ball. Your your fullback now has to be someone who can contest the ball in an aerial contest. Like mm. that's that's the important part of being a fullback now. It's, it's a defensive line. You've got to be able to direct where your defensive line's going. You've got to be able to attack the ball in the air. Broken play running is like this crazy old, myth now sort of like the, it's like the old eyes up footy you know yeah. oh he runs so well in broken play you know what so do most little fast guys they that do. doesn't make him a fullback you know i just think yeah that you've got to have someone with a bit of size uh you know jermaine obviously he's got a quite a bit of size um you know that you've got to have someone like that that can play fullback i just milford's just not a fullback it's not not fit enough, not in the shape anymore either. Not fast like he was used to be, and it's like a lot of the people what people remember from his time at the Raiders is like half of those great things he did was as a bench fourteen. People seem to forget yeah. that like he was just coming on the field and doing shit in the defensive line. He was playing and in the line. I think if he plays as a six, it, like if you've got a side set up to accentuate these half of these guys' strengths, and you've got a, a half beside him, say like Din, that can help him. He can run in broken play as much from six as he will at one. Mm-hmm. He can support and a psycho can support. And like, yeah, he'll get just as many options at playing at a six as he will at a one. And also like he's got way more tools that a six has the six needs, sorry, than a, a fullback needs. He's got a, a pretty decent kicking game. Really. He's got great bombs. He's got a pretty good short kicking game. 
yeah. you know, he's... He, it's, I, it's I've never, so... I mean, I've always been on the camp, like, pretty much, except for the signing of Jack Bird. If Wayne Bennett says something is, like, I'll just agree with that. And if Wayne Bennett moves him to, to 5'8", and he's like, he's a 5'8", I'm like, yeah. And he, he seems like that to me. Yeah, and it's like one of those things, mate. It's like fans have an obsession with moving players as, as, as this Magic's final solution. And it was like, moving Corey Oates finally back to the back row this year. It was like, oh, wait, that didn't, like, flick a switch. Turns out Oates is still playing shit. And it's the same thing with, like, Milford. <laughs> Everyone's gone back to fullback. It hasn't, like, gone, oh, wow, this is amazing. Milford's the best fullback all of a sudden. It's like, no, it doesn't just happen like that. Like, it takes work to work on a being good in a position in the NRL. It's not like going to play in the park with your mates. Like, you know, you know they, they, they work all off-season to be a certain thing, to play a certain position. They work at it. They need to move into fullback after, like, four days. They're not going to go be a fullback. But they've spent so many years in developing those 5-8 tools. There's, like, such a little benefit of moving him back to fullback. That's what I mean. He, he's, all of his skills are what a 5'8 should have. And, and you mentioned it before, Simo. It's about putting people around him to, you know, extract those skills from him, he, to allow him to play with strengths, which is a good running game. Like, he doesn't have to be parked on the left-hand side of the field all the time. If you can set up a game structure to allow him to, A, support through the middle, or B, play on both sides of the field then you're going to have someone like Cameron Munster. Like Munster is, you know, he's a, he can be just as good a fullback because he's a little bit more robust. But like Munster playing as a six, playing on both sides of the field and just playing what he sees is exactly what Milford can be if you've got a halfback that can just direct a team around the park, which Dearden can do. And Dearden will only get better at doing. Like it's pretty simple to allow Milford to play his natural game when you don't burden him with being a game manager because that's not his go. <laughs> yeah, I think people like people will get mad if you say you need to set up a team to to like help Milford's strength because he's the million dollar man and he should be the one helping the rest of the team. But like honestly, like that's not how team sports work. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really not. Like if you have. If you have a decent forward pack that's laying a platform, which, like we've seen, when that's not happening, every half in the comp looks terrible behind a bad forward pack. But if you've got a decent forward pack laying a platform, you've got a half like Dearden. Honestly, like, you see Milford and Croft, and they look like a, a, a one and a half out of ten. And then first game Dearden's in that side with Milford, they look like an eight out of ten, and they've not played together all year. That's the first game. And yeah. If those two play together and they help each other, and Turpin gets some time in the nine. Does, uh, he seems to be injured every third week. <laughs> I don't know. Like, if, if you can get this team together and they can help each other a bit. M- Milford's not a bad player. We saw 2015. We saw 2016. A decent side that can help his strengths. He's going to be 80% of that player again. Well, that's the funny thing about, by the way, people trying to recapture Milford being fullback at the Raiders. Why is no one trying to recapture Milford being 5'8 in 2015, 2016? Clive Churchill winning medal. (laughs) Yeah. I I remember conversations we had, Doyle, you and I, about like round eight, 2016, when we were saying he should have had three Dalian points for every single game that year. He should have already sewn up the Dalian by round 10. (laughs) And like you were having conversations with your mates down the pub and like, you're like, yeah, tell me who's a better player in the world right now than Anthony Milford because it's not JT. And there was, <laughs> like, there was, but people weren't disagreeing with that. But, That's what people no, yeah. they weren't. That, people will laugh at us now, but like, honestly, 
that was true at the time. Anthony Milford was the world's best player 10 rounds into 2016. That, that was a fact. Yeah, there's there's still a good player in him. Like I said, he's got to he's got to get his weight right. He's got to you know get his fitness yeah. levels up again. But um, yeah, it, like I said, it's a team sport. You can't put everything on a five eight who's underperforming when there's twelve other blokes in the side under mm. underperforming. And putting putting pieces around good players is what good coaches do. Yeah, so that's that's another thing I get pretty much every second day up here is because I wear a Broncos bucket hat around work most times and like I'm out on a bunch of different sites and so you're only Broncos merch and people have a go at you. But like, why should he be the only one that has to perform when 12 other players on the field are never performing at any... Sorry, 11 other players because Payne Haas is. He's the only guy that actually performs every week and mm-hmm. he's in a position that if he like he can do his job without relying on other people... Like, I guess he's the first in the assembly line that has to do his job. So he can do his. But, like, if Milford's not doing his job, it, it's harder by the other 11 people. That's – why is that his fault? You know, like, he can only do so much when no one else is putting in. Mm. Right. Well, we'll move on. 1.01 BM. I read somewhere – this is a weird one. I read somewhere on Twitter that there was some fallout from round one in Townsville. Do you have any idea what happened? I have no idea. So. Uh, reading the play, I have no idea if it's true or what the hell happened, but don't care yet. Cool. Well, like, Townsville can do what Townsville wants to do. <laughs> Spectre Toast 85. Would Kieran Foran be a decent option to partner Dearden next year? Wouldn't cost too much. Uh, it's not so much that he wouldn't be a decent option. I mean, he's playing decent footy. I just don't think it's a direction that the club needs to go in. Yep, Milford yep. and uh, and Dearden it is for me. But also while we're talking about Kieran Four and like there's a dumb decision from the Bulldogs to get Blake Green, you know. When a player's three hundred and five years old and coming off three ACL injuries or whatever, you know, you gotta gotta do it. Yep. Zebra Zara, do players and the board have anything to answer for for the way twenty twenty season has played out? Yes. Uh, yeah, that, they've all got to be accountable for it. Like I mean Seabold's been bad, but the players have been bad. Uh, the board's obviously made its mistakes as well. Um, yeah, like Seabold's not the only one that needs to suffer the wrath of everyone. Like, players have got to be accountable. Um, senior guys have got to be accountable. Um, but yeah, it's the right move is to get rid of Seabold and then some more members of the board to follow. Um, and then, yeah, there's, there'll be some players moved on, no doubt, in the off-season as well. So, yeah. Uh, Guna F1. If the answer isn't Green or Walters, then who is it? Oh, we that one, yeah. <laughs> Adrian underscore Stavely. Hey, guys, who gets the job next? I don't care who your favourite, but can we afford another NRL inexperienced coach? I'm oh, covered coaching. Mm. Uh, Bonecone. Clean out Morris, White, Lockie first, obviously, but then Wayne for two years with a succession plan. Get the heart of the place beating again. I mean, I'm pro uh, it, but he wouldn't come back without the rest of it being cleaned out. But I also, you know, like, yeah, I, I love Wayne, but I don't know if we, if we can keep going back to the Wayne well at this point, though, really. And Lockie can stay on, owner. just not in board form. Let him stay oh, yeah. on yeah, somewhere for, else. For, for me, Benny, Lockie can stay on, but it's in one of the three roles. It's not in all yes. three. You can't be on yeah. the Recruitment and Contention Committee and a Leadership Consultant and on the board. You're way too many fingers and way too many pies to make effective decisions in any of those roles doing that. Yeah, agreed. Um, I mean, I'm just fire all of them and get Wayne back. I don't care. <laughs> like, there could be Wayne in a, 
a, a coffin at like t- 120 years old and I don't care. I'd still want him in the coaching box. Uh, Bone Cone again. Are you going to be negative Nellies the whole pod or celebrate the Broncos being top of the table after round two this year? <laughs> Forgot about that. That was Paul White said in the press today. He said we were at top of the table going into the break, which is obviously two rounds. And then he said, uh, you know, some good judges had us in the top six. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that well that it, there's a lot of things Paul White said in that press conference. Is like, you do understand you're sacking the coach, right? Because it doesn't sound yeah. like you understand that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was awful. Uh, oh. Liam Patrick, 1993. How long does Croft last at the Broncos post Seabold? He doesn't play for oh. us again. That's my take after this season. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think he does either. No, I, I think they'll be... I don't know if any NRL team will pick him up. Um, he might end up in England next year. If we can get him there. Well, I, I mean, think I think... We'll pay some of it for sure, mm. but you'd get him off the books quick smart. Yeah, well... Yeah, I think this year's his only hope to even if he plays a game again, but I don't see that happening unless there's like a, a billion injuries. But Well, he's on the bench surely, this week because of the injuries. I think he means he, starting, if, yeah, that you see much. Yeah. If, you hit, if you hit the off-season, I think he's gone after that. Yeah, how much is he supposedly on? I've not even seen a figure for that. It's not that much. Like, pay half of that and get him to England. 100%, mate. You can cop the 200K or whatever. Just get him out of there. He needs. He's one of those things. He's like... He's a memorial of this regime. Get him the fuck out of the joint and move on. Um, or like send him to the Capras and they can play him in Capras' reserve grade. I wouldn't even... I'd, I'd hang up my non-existent season tickets if he came to the Capras. <laughs> <laughs> From Buduinya. What's the cool. worst thing... Look, nah, it's not that bad. What's the worst thing you can remember saying that backed Seabold? You looked asking the wrong people because I've pretty much even after the first two rounds, we didn't back him on here, and people asked us to back him. So, uh, yeah, like, I, I don't remember changed last. Like, I think when he first got signed, I would have said some stuff about I think he can do some things, but as soon as you started seeing his coaching style, it was very mm. quickly pro the other way. I mean, I'm only going off of memory here, but I, I probably would have been. Like I guess pro it like new coach you want to be excited for the you know and hope they can do well you, you know you, you're not off them straight away before they coach games you want you want to see them do well but I remember about three weeks into the season one having a go at him on Twitter and Chris Gary was like I'm seeing them at training they're training well like it took eight eight weeks at at Souths give him eight weeks we'll see we'll see results turn around. And I remember just being like, nah, piss off, mate. Like, it's look at what we're watching. So I, I think I was, you know, okay with him before game one happened. But I think, yeah, I, I jumped off him pretty quick, I think. Dee Darrinson again. Real tough one for you, lads. What aspects of the club has Seabold left in a better condition than he found it? <laughs> I've got one. I do have one. The PR department. They have so well. tested. They can write a statement so fast. <laughs> like they had the statement out. They had the statement today out before the press conference. That's how good they are. Yeah, and maybe their social media department, like just for giving him the, the strength to persevere. I've got. There's. I mean, we don't normally read replies, but there's one here from Mr. Underscore S Triple Eight. He goes losing, excuses for losing, and losing players we want to keep. There's three <laughs> three places he's improved. Uh, Zebrazar again. 
if the boys don't win a game for the rest of the season, we'll see Bold still be to blame. And that's a yes for me. <laughs> <laughs> I see yeah. like she must be a bit of a Seabold defender. Um, if they don't win the rest, again, like uh, one thing I don't want to get lost is like Seabold is not the fool to blame. No one on this podcast has ever claimed that. But like, obviously he's a big part of the blame whatever happens the rest of the year from here on. Like, oh, he, it's all the confidence is ruined with him being there. But, like, guys like Paul White and Carl Morris and Darren Lockyer are more responsible for the overall big picture at Brisbane. But the short-term result is Seabold's fault. It's literally – it's his fucking job. It is his fault. It is his fault, yeah. yeah. And Gentle can't transform a team in five weeks to play a completely different style of game. Like, yeah, you're but, just going to have like, to deal with it. I guess most interim coaches are kind of in this position where it's a win-win, like – if Gentle loses out the season, no one's pit really pinning those results on him. Like, well, and he's not trying he, to get the job. No, no, I know he's not trying to get a first grade job out of this. But like, if he wins three out of five or two out of five, like those wins get pinned on him still. Like, so it's kind of a win win for him, really. <laughs> it is. Uh, underscore Mert one. I've heard Shane Richardson could be a candidate for CEO position. At worst, he'd be a great GM of football to replace Nolan. What are the chances we're bringing Rich out of the Broncos? It's, it, this is one of those things, and I, you know, I know I'm a bit of a know-it-all, but I do try not to act like I know something that I don't. And I don't know what it takes to hire a CEO. You know, I don't know what process they're going through, and I don't know who the good candidates are. I think Shane Richardson's a good candidate because I know Shane Richardson's history, and he's done good in the league. And I think Ben Eichen's an okay candidate because of what I've heard him talk about the club. But I have no idea about the other people who have applied for this job and the recruitment people who have gone, you've been hired by the club to find the right people. I have no idea. Like, I'd like Rich Ellis as CEO, but I couldn't tell you if he's better than the other guys who applied for it because I don't know who they are. It's like, it's just yeah. one of those things. I haven't got access to, like, there's no CEO database out there. I'm not on LinkedIn, like, scouting CEOs. And like, oh, man, look at this guy's resume, mate. Look at, look at this. This guy turned around an oil company in two years. Like, have you seen this? Like, <laughs> I guess oh, the, that's thing, the thing you have to, I guess the thing we have to know about it is it's the biggest, one of the biggest sporting brands in Australia. Like mm. you're going to get candidates that are obviously going to be well and truly equipped to handle the position. So um, yeah, I think again, Richardson from what he's done at South and from all reports, he is a fantastic CEO and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, he wouldn't be a bad option, I'm guessing. Um, but yeah, I don't think we're going to get a bad CEO. Mm. I think, I don't know if this is just from White kind of butting in a bit where I, I think he shouldn't, but I just kind of want a CEO that kind of more just runs the business side. I don't think they need to just like be hosting barbecues with all the players and be best friends with everyone and just bugger off from that side of, the, of your job kind of thing. But I think that's where maybe that's what White did well. He transformed the business side of the Broncos into this, you know, what it is sort of today in terms of its success with, you know, charities and, you know, how much money we're making. Like, obviously, it's like a $52 million business. So his, that's where his skill set was on the business side of it. If you've got a CEO now, you know, for example, Icon, who can nail down our football department, which has been incredibly lacking, um, you know, especially in recent times, that's where then the business side takes care of itself, if you know what I mean. Like, we've already got the business side, but sort of pretty much nailed. If we get our football department right again and start winning and start being the successful Broncos, then that 
essentially just runs the business side without having to do anything. How I'd interpret uh, yeah. what Simo said, mate, I'd say you want someone doing what their skill set is. And Paul White crossed into what wasn't his skill set once he started getting on the recruitment and retention community. Say the fuck away from that. Like, you know, say if we get a Ben Eichen in and he starts to do a bit more football stuff and he's a bit more of a vocal, you know, CEO in the, in the media and similar. Okay, you do that, but they probably need a COO to go and do the other stuff. CFO, yeah. sorry, to be the finance guy or similar. That's cool. Yeah. What we don't want is someone like Paul White, what it became at the end where he was like, fingers and everything. I know CEOs are supposed to be like that, but a CEO should never be on a retention committee with his history ever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, you just said what I wanted to say, but way better. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, just while we're talking about CEOs too, that, I mean, probably never going to happen, but that Lions CEO looks all right. I don't even remember his name. That's how much I care about. <laughs> Greg Swan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. He's turned about every football team he's ever been at around in like half a season. So yeah. that looks all right. Yeah. I think he's re-signing with the Lions from... Don't tell me that. I want him to <laughs> go. <laughs> he's he's re-signing for my Lions, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, mate, my son's just quietly won about three and a half games this year. That's about 400% up from normal. So that's all right. Yeah. Um, I got a few on my phone here. I don't know. They're not running on my computer. Um, Brad Craig, 28. How does the next appointed coach manage the list? Does he play the shit? No, I've read that one already. Yeah. Uh, TTC one, two, one, two, one, two. 12, 12, 12. Get a new app, mate. Uh, is Croft the new... Sorry, is Croft the worst ever Broncos signing? Not taking into account salary amounts. Is it possible it was a condition of Seabell's termination <laughs> that he take him with him? I hope so. Uh, that's okay. my friend Troy. So if you cut out if you cut out salary, it is by far the worst signing in Broncos history for how much they pay. they just kept playing him. Like then probably is worse signings or situations. Maybe I'm trying to think. There's is been worse players. There has is well there has been worse players, but the way they they signed him and made and the way they they planned on using him pretty fucking bad signing like oh it's an awful signing like you've taken the guy who's literally been a discard for a heavyweight mm. who didn't want him who knew he couldn't run a team and tried to make him your go-to guy and put him in the leadership group like did you could you not yeah. see that coming and other bad signings are like you know marty kennedy but that's about dollars and cents while he was a bad signing got no return on investment there joel clinton with the whole petro thing was terrible yeah, ben barber went to bad. shit but we got rid of barber pretty quickly like there's some bad signings but i don't know if it's vividness bias with croft but it's from the day i hated him before we got him i thought he was the worst half back in the comp when we got him he sucks since he got here i don't know if that's why it's the worst to me if you take salary out but it is the worst to me if you take salary out it's I the mean, worst it's- to me because of his like he's he's just bad for a key position player he is awful mm. like salary aside even if you're paying him everyone a million dollars he's the worst i don't i don't think you need to take salary out of it i just think he cripples he handbrakes the whole football team he does well my, one of my takes is if we played tom Dean from round one Fafita would still be at the club that's one of my takes i'm putting my flag on that I would agree with you there. I would agree for sure. They had had some more. I don't know if they win many more games. They certainly were scored more points. Had more fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Any more Uh, questions, Simo? Is that it? I think that's the last one. Yeah, one more. 
one more I can see here from GM Walker underscore. I thought Paul White trying to define accountability in cliches instead of explaining the steps to make people accountable was a perfect illustration of why the club hasn't won a premiership in 15 years. Mm, Not yep. really a question, but, uh, but it, it would make yep. sense to me. Yeah, that was, that was classic. Concept. You know, when um, in Billy Madison, how, he's, how Eric has to try and explain business ethics? Yeah. That was Paul White trying to explain accountability. Uh, accountability is holding someone uh, <laughs> yeah. accountable. And, you can't uh, use the word you're trying to describe in the word you're describing. Uh, it's a thing. Uh, it's a thing an accountant is, is it, does. Is that it? Yeah. No, but he was like, oh, it's like fronting up to things. So what do you mean fronting yeah. up to things? Isn't it a calculator? Isn't that what accountability? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great, but it was exactly, it showed, and we've had that issue we mentioned before in here over the last couple of years. They weren't holding those players accountable for a lot of things they did off the field, even if the ones that weren't ma- major. And uh, that was a great example of Paul White thinking the fact you just ex- admitted you did something meant you were accountable for it. Like just yeah. Oh, Joe yeah, o- we signed him. Yeah, but it's like Joe O's third DUI, and they're like, well, he, he's owned up. You know, he's a good bloke. That's it. Yeah. Like, oh, that's holding him accountable, is it? It's not really <laughs> what we're looking for here, Paul. No. Maybe some action on top of accountability as well. Like, yeah. you can't just say, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I know. Like, you know, there's more to it than that. Yeah. You've got to actually demonstrate that you've got to do more to be accountable. Yeah, but anyway, I, 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 if he was at home on the phone, he would have been Googling it, what it meant. And he was like, uh, the Oxford Dictionary defines it as. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> he was sitting there in front of a, of a camera just sweating. <laughs> oh, yeah, he looked good up there too. You, you can just imagine like when he's reading off his script, he's all cool, calm and collected. And then like as soon as someone throws him a curveball and he has to answer a question he's not prepared for, that's the end of him. Well, both of them today, both of them were exactly the same. They were deer in a headlight. As soon as they weren't reading from their pages, it just got awkward and uncomfortable. Okay, anyway, last question, Simo. That was the last one. Well, things we've had a seven-hour podcast, so I think we should wrap that up. I, was uh, say, I, just, I literally just looked at our group chat here, and you sent the Zoom link like two hours and ten minutes ago. So yeah, we're probably about two hours here. Yeah, I've uh, <laughs> probably got an angry missus in the next room, whatever. <laughs> but Benny, thanks for coming on again, mate. And hopefully we got uh, yeah, cheers, Benny. Had some Broncos therapy in your lockdown down there. No, oh, mate, that's all right. Not a drama at all. Always happy to jump on. Sweet. And uh, well, thanks again, Simo, mate. probably get you again on soon. Yeah, cheers, eh? Yeah, see you later, everybody. See ya.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.